Hey, everybody, it's Jacob Newton here, professional hockey player and mental health coach, advocate, all of the above. My good buddies over at Sports Epreneur and I did a podcast together about a year ago. And ever since then, we've been keeping in touch, creating content podcasts now. So if anybody out there is interested in doing the same, having their own podcast or want some type of content creation, don't hesitate to reach out to those guys at Sports Epreneur. They are willing and able to help you out. And after listening, don't hesitate in leaving a review. And then you'll get much more access to all of my content across the Sports Epreneur platform. I'm going to turn it right over to my good buddy. Let him introduce himself and then just say a little bit about uh, himself and where he's at in his life. Go yeah, ahead. Jake, thanks for having me on, man. My name's uh, Russ Sinkowicz. I'm a former pro hockey player, former college, former pro hockey player, and now a current uh, skill provider for the Northeast Ohio region. It's uh, really, I'm the founder and the head coach of an organization called the Ohio Hockey Project, which for me was my transition out of the sport that I love so much. And truthfully, it probably took me away a few, few years earlier than it needed to, but um, I, I couldn't have found a better segue into the next chapter of my life and really taking my skills and my passion for the sport and, and bringing it to my community in, in Northeast Ohio and Cleveland specifically where, you know, uh, like any former athlete, they love the sport and they love everything about the sport. Now I literally eat, sleep and breathe it, but I get to pass it on to the next generation, which it's funny because I look at my career and I, I got to do some cool things and some great things in the sport. And I played at, at, a, at a high level and a respectable level, but I'm more proud of my accomplishments as a former player than I am of winning championships and signing a pro contract or getting a college scholarship or these really, really uh, incredible personal accolades that I get to pay it forward to, to Cleveland hockey, which is, which is really what fuels me now. So um, we can get into that in a little bit, but yeah, Russ Sinkwich and thanks for having me on guys. Yeah, absolutely, buddy. You know, obviously thank you so much for, for joining. I know it's a crazy time in the world. We got nothing but time. So, um, you know, again, thank you so much. And one thing I wanted to ask you is because, I know for myself that uh, my, my two oldest brothers, uh, they're both, or one's currently coaching, one was a coach, and it was about 14 years ago, we decided to set up our own camp, we called it Newton Hockey, we had shirts made, and, and all of the track suits, and all this stuff, and we did it just one time, uh, and it was such a crazy good success, we did it in, uh, you know, a town I kind of grew up in, in Riverside, California, but I think right now, um, you know, being at the end of my career, uh, thinking about, okay, what's next? I've had so many buddies call me, hey, let's let's set up this camp and let's go to this market and this market. But it never kind of transpires. It never, never actually takes place. But for yourself, you've been able to, to take those steps in setting up your own camp and, and all these clinics. And, and obviously, we've done work together in terms of skating in the past, you know, the last few summers. But what was it like for you to kind of actually take that step? You know, obviously, you said it was, it was still, you were still playing, and it kind of took you away from playing. Maybe you had such a, a good level of success. So maybe for, you know, guys that are listening that are maybe at the end of their career, they want to set up a camp. What was that kind of transition like for you? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like anything you start, I mean, you're taking a lot of kind of leaps of faith along the way. Um, I think for me, it was I just felt this internal drive of it just felt like the right thing to do. Um, you know, and even still, this is the 11th summer doing it. Like I have yet to ever make a decision out of like a financial gain from it. Like if things go well and they're financially successful, that's wonderful, but that's never, and it still has never been at the forefront of my decision-making. It's, is how does this help the community? How does this help this specific demographic? And 
for me, it was, it was always having my core values really, really clearly defined and, and never straying from them. And I still, you know, there's a lot of little things I could be doing differently that would probably be, you know, more quote unquote successful for us, but I, I won't go down those roads because they just don't align with my core values and why, why I started doing this. So for any players, and it's funny cause I have this conversation with former, you know, NFL guys and uh, an NBA guy I talked to a little bit that they're always thinking about doing things. And it's like, as long as you really define, again, your core values, your wants out of it, your mission out of it. Um, I think that's always the key to being successful. And I think when people do get into these kind of endeavors, you realize like it's so gratifying to help other people. And especially anybody that ever got to take their craft to a professional level, you didn't get there by accident. Um, you know, and it's like, you've probably forgotten more than most people ever learn about the, their sport, right? So it's like, to take a simple little thing, like maybe it was like, you know, as a former hockey player, a lot of us know like what a black ace skate is, right? Like, I, di I did more than I can count. And I think about like a silly little drill in a black ace skate, like what a developmental skill and drill for a 10 year old or a 12 year old. And it's stuff that you, you think about without really even thinking about like how helpful that is. So you start tying together curriculum after season after season and you're like, wow, like this is, I'm making a difference. And then really the tangible difference when you start to see kids just, they make better teams or they win more games or they're just a better hockey player. And, right. you know, at least with our project, we took it to the next level with um, the on ice stuff is obviously a huge part of it because that that's one of our goals is to make you just a, a better hockey player. But I took in what hockey gave me, uh, which is probably why I, I'm a good guest for you, but hockey gave me such a good mental edge to how I approach life. It taught me so many life lessons, as does every sport for any athlete. But, you know, on the ice is one thing with our kids, but we spend, and I, I like to almost focus more time off the ice with teaching core values, teaching attitude, work ethic, teaching perseverance, teaching mental grit. I, I love that word, but um, that's something that, you know, at least in my career, if anyone looks me up, you know, I was never a superstar. I never played on great teams. I wasn't a draft pick. I didn't do anything really exceptionally well, but mentally I was probably stronger than 99.9% .9 of the people I played against. And I think that teaching that in kids is like, how do you take an average player and have them have really exceptional accomplishments? And that's really, that was the body of work in my career. So that's kind of my take on it anyways, but yeah. Nice, man. I, I think I want to go back to kind of like the beginning of what you were saying here in terms of, you know, having the success that you've been able to have with the Ohio Hockey Project. And I think, again, in terms of the conversations I've had with buddies about setting up our own camps, I think the thing that's always at the forefront of their thoughts in terms of setting up these camps is money. So I think through that, you're going to run into a lot of complications that maybe you didn't foresee coming. But it sounds like with you, this has been such a big passion of you to to, to help the next generation, to put your best foot forward and trying to help these players to, you know, rise up and get to the highest levels that they possibly can, but it's a passion. So you're chasing your passion. So like you said, the money and all that, it's great if, it, if you're able to make, you know, so much money per month doing it, you know, during the summers or whatever. But again, that's not your main focus. Your main focus is, is giving to the next person. You know, it sounded like a lot like you're, you're receiving a lot through your giving. And that's, that's so powerful. I think about myself in terms of, you know, the mental health work I do, the messages I get from people, like I'm, I'm, you know, putting out content and doing all this stuff unconditionally. I don't expect anything in return, 
but you do get messages or I do get messages from people. And that right there is like the most rewarding thing. It's not like they're sending me money. They're just giving me a message, letting me know how much they appreciate it. You know? So I would imagine you're probably getting a lot of the, you know, same things, kids coming up to you, just a simple thank you sometimes can create so much inner energy within ourselves, you know? Um, so yeah, you can't, I, I honestly, I, I can't even like, it's funny. I talk about that all the time. I can't even quantify that to people. Like, what that worth to me is when I get the emails or especially like now it's kind of like the tryout season and kids are making teams that they didn't think they would have made. And parents are, are giving me these, just these messages of gratitude. And it's the same thing on social media. We get a lot of it or, or kids will text me and it's, you can't, it's amazing. You can't, you can't put a dollar on that. You can't, it's so hard to explain until you, you accept and receive those messages where you're like, you want to talk about like lighting the fire, like, you know, and, and that's what it's really all about for anybody that's passionate about what they do. Right. Um, you know, and I think if people that are getting into any type of this, this part of the, the industry, like, you know, if, if you want it to be profitable, you scale it and you try to do it big and you do it in a lot of cities and that's great. But that wasn't our goal. You know, our, our goal is to be amazing in our city and that's it. Like we're not leaving the region. We're not, doing all these other things like we're making Cleveland hockey as good as we possibly can. And, um, and the cool thing is, is because of it, there's so much more growth in the community. More kids are playing the sport and more people are doing kind of what I'm doing, which is great with the hockey project. Cause that's really what the mission is all about. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's a powerful feeling for sure. When you get like, again, those messages of gratitude. Yeah, for sure. And, and any coach going. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So again, you know, I'm also again thinking about, this being the end of my career and, you know, kind of the next steps. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes the game is taken from the, from players, guys I've played with, maybe they, their career ended due to injury or it was just kind of that time they weren't making the money they wanted or something like that. So it sounds like, you know, maybe even you didn't want to, you know, move on to this chapter kind of when you did, but you, you were fortunate enough to have this other thing on the side that you've been doing that you were passionate about that was, you know, you were kind of maybe able to ease into that transition. I think, unfortunately, so many guys, like I said, are retiring from, from the game at the professional level when, when they're not ready. So they don't have that next thing lined up. How would you say that having this already kind of eased that transition for you and maybe was able to help you to be at peace with being done playing almost maybe instantly? Or was that the case for you? Yeah, well, you know, it was, for me, it was twofold. It was, the more powerful message for me was, you know, I was playing in the American league and I, I did it for eight years. And for me, it was, I love doing what I did in the summers more than playing hockey, which was like, that, that's a, that's a really crazy statement that whenever I, I, I hear myself say that it's such a positive reminder for my own like mental well being that like I transitioned at the right time for me. Cause I was in the prime of my, my physical conditioning and my shape and I was playing statistically. I had my absolute best season of my entire life. The year I walked away by choice, no injury or anything, but it was because I was so driven by my next, like the ambition of my next chapter of like, Oh my God, like look what we did in this short amount of time. And I'm only home for three months doing it. What if I'm home for 12 months doing it? And that was that. And then the other part for me was, um, right, wrong, or indifferent, and I think a lot of people get in this um, this lane in, in the sport. But you know, I felt like I had achieved all I really could. Um, I, I won an ECHL um, Kelly Cup. I, I played on a team that won a Calder Cup, 
And I just felt like statistically, it didn't really matter what I did. I, I was kind of just, I was where I was. I was always on an American League contract and I would do well on that every year. It was just Groundhog Day. I would just restart where I was. And for me, it was like, well, I'm falling out of love with the business part of this. And I'm more in love with the sport and training and my teammates and obviously playing the game itself. It's for, for anyone that's never played a game at that level to skate out of a tunnel in front of X amount of fans. It's your bull. I say the word bulletproof to kids. Cause I literally felt like I was Superman. You know, every player knows that feeling, right? Um, so that was really, really hard to walk away. I still get choked up thinking about it, but you know what? I, I get that times 10 on what I do now with the hockey project. And that's amazing. You know, it, it's a really special thing. So yeah. So I guess for me, it was an easy transition, but it's uh yeah, you definitely got to have a plan and it's, it's never a successful endeavor when you just jump right. at something without a plan. And for me, it was really calculated because I'd been doing this for years. I mean, I was doing this when I was in college, um, obviously at a much smaller scale and it was kind of like aimless <laughs> just to say the least. I was just doing it out of passion, but you know, any decision, it doesn't matter if it's buying groceries. If you just show up and buy stuff, you're probably not going to have the best dinner that week. <laughs> Same thing with, you know, buying a vehicle or a home or proposing to the, to your best friend. You know what I mean? Like you got to have a plan, right? Right. right. Absolutely. I so, I think, so I think kind of like the, the message here that I want to put out there is that for any, you know, guys that are coming towards the end of their career, it doesn't even have to be at the professional level. If it's, if it's college, you're, you know, you're playing your senior year and you know, this is going to be it or your juniors. Like in, in terms of what's next, I, I think it's best that, you know, again, we have, we have a plan. We, we're prepared that, you know what, our lifestyle, and I want to talk on that too, that the lifestyle that we had um, playing professionally, like our days are done at lunch. You know, we, we show up to the rink at eight or seven 30 and we were there for three and a half, four hours. And then we go, we eat lunch and then our days are done. It's, it's such a unique lifestyle that not too many people get to experience and not too many people get paid to experience, you know? So I, so I did it for 10 years and it's like, now I'm, I'm again, I'm thinking about what's next for me and I've got all these things I'm doing. Right. But it's like, I don't want to lose that part. I don't want to have to go and, um, you know, work your normal nine to five job and be in a cube or something like that. Right. Where I'm so used to movement. I'm so used to freedom in terms of what I'm able to do after 12 o'clock hits. I've got, you know, nine, 10, I go to bed really early. So I've got nine more hours in my day of, of again, feeling it to do whatever I want. Some guys go to bed later, they get 12 hours again. So there's so much freedom there. So I think that's, you know, a powerful message too is to understand that, you know, most likely your lifestyle is going to change drastically. It's not going to just be your label in terms of what it is you do. Um, but it's so much of it's going to change, you know? Um, so anyhow, one thing I wanted to make sure that we talked about on this is obviously you work with a lot of the youth, right? That's right. primarily the, the, the group of guys you're working with in terms of the Ohio hockey project. I know that during yeah. summer times, once everybody's home, all the pros and the college guys, like, we have separate skates, which is great. Um, but in terms of what you do in terms of the Ohio Hockey Project, it's mainly youth. So through that, you're probably having a lot of interactions with parents. And uh, one thing that I know for sure is that, unfortunately, parents can get in the way um, of these athletes, of these little teenage kids, right, trying to show up to the rink and enjoy the game. But they've got mom and dad in their minds and how mad they're going to get. Uh, real, real quick, I'll tell a story about, you know, my experience uh, when I was playing youth hockey was – um, 
having my dad come to the games or getting my fortunate that my dad came grateful that he came, but sometimes his reactions to how I played um, were, were very damaging. I would, I would imagine to me back then, if I played great, he was right there to let me know. Unbelievable job. Patton on the back. Good job. So proud of me. But when I played bad, it was one of two things would happen. He, with the car ride home, which for me was always at least an hour and a half. So it would be an hour and a half of screaming or an hour and a half of dead silence. But they were both equally uh, like unhealthy. Yeah, know? very unhealthy. Exactly. Exactly. So again, that's, you know, my dad kind of, in a sense, was kind of maybe getting in the way of my true enjoyment of the game, you know, going into the game instead of focusing on, you know, making a good pass or skating abilities and the power play and all this, I'm worried about, well, if I don't play so good tonight, uh, my, my dad, you might be really mad. So I'm more focused on that than I am on my ability to play. So my question to you is what, what have, what are some of the things that you've seen in terms of parents and maybe get, like I said, getting in the way of these uh, kids development in terms of hockey? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I'm going to address what you said because I actually had a very similar experience with my mother. Um, and, it, and it's weird because now as an athlete, former athlete, and then coach, I, I, see, I, see, I see it like full circle, honestly. And it's funny because we're expecting our first kid here, and it's like I can't wait to be like – I tell like a joke to my buddies, like the model parent. Like I'm going to act exactly how every parent needs to act. But, it, you know, so I guess readdressing what you would said, like I think that a big reason why people get to a high level is because they have – a lot of drive and support from their parents. But I think that in hindsight, there's some really, there's much healthier ways for parents to do things. Mm-hmm. Obviously it, it's hard because I think in hockey specifically, it's a very expensive sport for a lot of kids that play at a high level. The sacrifice is unreal with the time. You know, I too, I had a lot, I mean, I was living in Cleveland one year. We played on a team that was in like Pennsylvania. So like I'm, same thing. I'm in a car an hour and a half to practice Yeah. every weekend, you know, especially in Northeast Ohio, if you want competitive hockey, you're driving to Detroit, to Chicago, to Buffalo, like that's how it works. Um, so I think that parents oftentimes feel that the commitment that they're making, it almost, and I don't like the word that, to use this, but it's almost like an entitlement where it's my child. I write the checks. I made the sacrifice. I'm going to put in my two cents which is fair. Absolutely. It's fair. But I think it always needs to be done with that child's mental health at the forefront of your delivery. Right. Um, and so often I see like a quick story. I'll never forget this. There's a child I played with growing up when we were at Peewee's, his dad would take a quarter and tap it on the glass. He was a goaltender, stand behind him, tap a quarter on the glass and flip the quarter over the glass to him, tell him to call and get his own ride home if he had a bad game. And, and it's like, you hear these stories and you, I've lived and seen these stories and it breaks my heart because it's like, that is so detrimental to a kid's mental health above all. But then at the end of the day, a parent, the thing you want most for your child is to be happy and to, and to play well. So it's like, you're actually sabotaging your kid's performance mm. by your ill behavior. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I, and it's funny, I, I wrote a blog about this, but something I think so important is that at the end of the day, like, let the coaches coach. I mean, if you're a former athlete and you know something about the sport, then maybe you can deliver a positive message, but that the key is it's positive. Mm. It's a constructive delivery of like, hey, you know, you did this poorly. Next time when you see this scenario, do this differently. Or, 
you know, and if, if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't think that's the right approach, well, as soon as you get out of the rink or the arena or the stadium or wherever, don't talk about the sport. Talk about school, talk about family, talk about friends outside of that team or, or how, whatever's coming up, you know, but I think that that's a really healthy exercise. Um, because like anything, you know, you need to compartmentalize things, mm. you know, just uh, even I, I love hockey and I love hockey more than anything. But when I go on vacation, I don't want to think about hockey. I want to think about a beach or when I leave the rink as a, as a former player, like I wanted to think about my, my family mm. or what I had to do that day or whatever. So, you know, I think that parents, they play a vital role in a kid's success or failure. And I think if, if a parent's delivery is positive and loving and, uh, enthusiastic I think that that's obviously the best foundation but when it gets to negative town and it starts to finger pointing and cynical and I, I don't really know that that's the recipe you know but and it's a fine line because I think a parent should be stern you should be on your kid to be working hard you should be on your kid to, to being committed and being focused and I think that that's a positive delivery um, but when you start you know a attacking a kid's performance you know in a, and I laugh because it's the same thing when I see coaches yelling at kids I always I, I talk to the coach after practice and I go you know that kid doesn't know what he doesn't know like you're, you're yelling at this kid to do something that he doesn't even understand what you're asking him to do like how would he have known you know what to do because you've experienced it through your career and your your body of playing right. he doesn't know that or she doesn't know that so don't yell at them and then skate them and punish them have a positive deliver to them, yeah. you know? And it's like, I just look at, you know, at least in my career, like the best coaches I ever had were the ones that I respected the most that like pulled me aside and showed me video or, or really, really educated me. And then of course, if there would be repetitive, poor behavior, poor delivery on my part, yes, there should be a lack of ice time or I should be a healthy scratch or I should get cut or something. Sure. But you can't do that the first time. And as a kid, that, that leash, needs to be like a mile long because how does that 12 year old kid that you're yelling at know any better? Like in your situation or maybe my situation, that car ride home, like you don't know you're trying, you're going out and you're trying your hardest, <laughs> you know, right. you know, but your parents, you know, in the one thing that I always remind parents too is, you know, the game's a lot easier from the stands. Yes. It's a lot easier to see the next play from the bird's eye view. It's a lot easier to see what you should have, could have done, mm. you know, when you're in the moment, the game's a hundred miles an hour and you're reading and reacting in the blink of an eye, yeah. you know, and that's where like, I think a child deserves, uh, you know, a mile of forgiveness. And that's so critical to their long-term development because like you said, like it can be detrimental to a kid's passion um, because in, in any sport you're trying to be great at it. And that in and of itself is exhausting. And then if you're getting an earful and then you're getting worn down mentally, on top of physically, like you're burning the candle at both ends. Mm. And that, that, that's impossible to be successful right. for any kid, you know? Yeah, you absolutely. Know? I think it's, uh, I think unfortunately what's, what's happening, the dynamic between parent and, and son or daughter in terms of playing is that there, it's not like, it's, it's not unconditional. It's conditional. It's, you know, I will continue to support you, you know, playing hockey as long as you're doing this and you're doing that. And so once those kids aren't able to live up to those expectations, then I think you're starting to see it, it kind of bleed through in terms of how the parents are reacting. Um, you know, again, like I said, when, when a game doesn't go so well, so 
you know, that dad flipping that quarter over and saying, call and get yourself a taxi, essentially, like that is so damaging because then you can also think about, well, what's his life like at home? So hockey as like an escape. And I think about myself and, you know, the things that I went through um, in my childhood, hockey was an escape for me. You know, that, that was kind of my, my church, you know, it was where I could go and forget about life and I'm just on the ice and I'm just in the moment. But if, you know, at times my, my home life wasn't always so great. So now, like you said, it's burning the candle at both ends. Essentially, if, if life at home isn't good, now your parents come into these games and now they're making this a toxic environment as well. Where, where is the joy in the life for this child? Of course. It's nowhere, you know, and if, again, if parents aren't aware of this, and I think, unfortunately, what, how the, the approach that parents are taking is very much um, me versus you instead of us together. So I, I, I did a, a podcast, um, just a short, like eight minute long one. And it was a message to parents. And I brought up the example that I shared with you in terms of the car ride home. And most times when we play bad, we know. Most times when we make a mistake, we know. And most times we know what we could have done differently, right? So as a parent, instead of again, just screaming, 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 your message is gone. All we're hearing is the noise. Let's try and include our son or daughter in the conversation. Hey, like, like you had mentioned, Hey, you know, you know what you could have done here differently. Hey, I I saw this mistake. Do you know what you could have done differently? And most times the answer is going to be yes. And they'll tell you what they should have done differently. But now as a parent, we're including, we're involved. It's us together. We're a team. We all want our son and daughter to play better and get to the highest level as do they. But if you make it, uh, you know, me against you, then it's never going to be successful. And eventually this kid's going to hate showing up to the ring. Well, and also to the delivery where it's like, especially when we're talking about a kid, when you see a parent yelling at him, it's like, to me, that's like, it's such an alarming thing where it's like, where's the pant? Like, is today the last day they're ever playing hockey? No, it's not more times than not. So like, why are we panicking to deliver this message in such a negative delivery where it's like, talk to him. Talk, just talk to them and make it a positive, you know, a learning experience. It'd be the same thing if you're like in second grade doing like a division question in math, you get it wrong and the teacher's like, ah, like freaking out at you. Like, like what, how are we not learning? We're not learning that way. But it's like, so I see like, what's the panic for? Like, what, what's the panic? You know? Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's just, it's fascinating, like the role the parent, a parent can play and how it could be so positive. Because you already see, you hit the nail on the head where it's like the sport, like anybody that ever is successful in any sport and take this, the most iconic athletes in the world, the Kobe's and the Serena's and the Tigers and the Wayne Gretzky's, every single person, they played the sport because they loved it. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and then the, the budget superstars like you and I, like we played the game because we loved it. Yeah. You know, so that was our escape. And that was like the most, that was the happiest hour of our day still is. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I don't understand when parents like get in the way with that. It's like, man, make, make, still make it a great experience. And then that experience can, can actually be enhanced by like some really, really positive pregame talk, you know, don't get in the way, but like, Hey, like, what are your strengths? All right, buddy, have fun. You know, Hey, be a great teammate. Like just simple little things that I'm, pretty sure aren't really getting discussed yeah. and then afterwards like the icing on the cake could be like you know like you have a bad game like be the first to pick your child up right and, hey you know what that's why you're playing 50 of them this year or hey that you know that's what practice is for on monday right or hey you know like 
just just wait till you do get bigger and stronger. You won't. You, there's a thousand and one positive affirmations that can be delivered. What it it can it can make that experience for a kid ten times better. Right. That I feel like they're just missed opportunities by parents. Yeah, and I think the saddest part is that I just don't think parents are even aware the the impact that they're having on these kids, and they are also not even aware of what they're doing. And I talk a lot about this about as an individual, parents or non-parent, our relationship with literally everything outside of ourselves, with our spouses, with our wives, our husbands, our friends, our the society, our environment, with our job, with everything, is always just going to be a projection of what's going on inside of us, right? So again, if these parents aren't aware of their own inner stuff, their mental health, their past, the, the, that interaction they're having with their child is most likely a very subconscious interaction, and they aren't even truly aware. They might know, like, holy shit, I'm screaming right now, or they might think back, you know, to an hour ago and that interaction they had with their child or the car ride home, but they have no idea of how to stop that from happening. You of course. Know? So you talk about the panic. I don't, I don't even know if it's so much that because I think it again, it's just if these parents have no idea what's going on inside of them, then that interaction is always going to be the same. So is it panic or is it just having no awareness of what's going on in their own lives? And now they're just projecting. And I think about this, like, for parents, you'll, most of you have jobs. When you're at your workplace, just imagine if your boss came up and just screamed at you like you do to your child or gave you the silent treatment just like you do your child. How is that going to make you feel? But we think that just because they're kids that they can handle it or they should be able to handle it or whatever the case is. You know, it's just not true. And again, imagine the same message coming from your boss but coming in a loving, uh, positive manner. The message is going to get through. You're going to see clearly what it is, you know, your boss wants you to do, and you're going to be able to correct it accordingly, right? But if your boss is coming at you screaming like crazy, you're going to, you're going to, you know, shrink, up. and you're not going to hear anything that's going on, you know? Well, that, that's the one thing too. Is is I, in my experience, I've noticed a lot of parents, and maybe they played the sport, and let's just obviously stick, stick to hockey. Like yeah. maybe they played the sport at some level. But majority of the time, they probably didn't play at a higher level than than the kids' coaches. Mm. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. It's just, I find it interesting where it's like, you know, I would never go and speak, try to speak above a professional in another field, like a lawyer or a doctor or a financial plan, something that I don't know anything about yeah. besides what I'm able to find on like social media. Like I would never go and like overcoach someone in that profession. So it's... You know, it's one thing if you're encouraging your kid to be working harder or, or, or trying harder, sure. But then when you start trying to coach your kid with, like, let's just say the strategy of the sport, when you don't maybe necessarily know, um, that, that gets a little tricky because now you're, now you're miscommunicating what that kid should probably be doing too. You know, on top of the delivery sometimes, like we said, it's, it's really not positive, which right. it can really be detrimental. I mean, I tell families this all the time, like, you know, I was very lucky to play the sport at a high level, and at least in Cleveland hockey, I started in the CSHL, um, which is the Cleveland Suburban Hockey League. It's basically like the, the, the most rec level of the sport in the city, and I finished my career essentially playing for the Monsters, which is the highest in, in the city yeah. in the American Hockey League, and I tell people this, like, I did it because, you know, I, you know, I had loving support from my family, and they, they enabled me to go and play junior hockey and supported me through all that stuff, but... It all started because I had great coaching in a great, like a great, a great environment growing up. Like the, the early years of my career, 
like cemented the foundation for my love of the sport because I had great teammates. The parents were for the most part all really positive and, and I look at it now, I'm 34 and my parents have been invited to so many weddings of like my former teammates and stuff and it's just like, but everything was such a just, it was like a utopia, honestly, of like positivity and it's like I was the sum of that. And I look at it now and I see how, how frequently kids are jumping programs and going from tryout to tryout or parents interaction with coaches or parents interaction with their own children. And sometimes I, it's concerning because it's like, I don't really know if it's going to be long-term, you know, at the end of the day, every parent wants what's best for their kid and they want their kid to play at the highest level they can. And in some degrees, they're like you said, sub subconsciously probably sabotaging them. And it's, it's unfortunate, um, you know, it's certainly not my place to go and tell another parent how to raise their child, and I, I never will. Right. Um, but when, when asked, I always share my, my candid experience of my, you know, my coaching experience and what I see, because right. some little things can go a really long way for a kid's long-term development. And then, you know, even maybe a bigger discussion is, is life after the sport. Mm -hmm. um, unless you're, you know, part of the, the fraction of a 1% that retires from their sport and never has to work another day because they're so financially set. Um, everybody's getting a job, right. you know, and it's like, there should be so many positive lessons learned through the sport and the sport itself. It's a game. It's just that it should be fun. Any game you ever play is fun. Yeah. And if you leave the sport damaged because of a, like a mental abuse to some degree, like that, that's terrible because the sport can offer any sport can offer a child so much. Right. And you know, to hear sometimes the, the mental thing gets worn out, it, it kills me. It kills me inside. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, I think it's, again, it's just also unfortunate because again, from just, just from one interaction, say with, with your child after a game or anything like that, uh, you know, even if you don't show up to the rink as a parent, you know, the, the rink can now be what I like to call like a trigger. Right. So they show up to the rink and, you know, it triggers a past emotion, a past experience based on how our parents reacted. Or we could even say the coaches, you know, so the parent don't think that just because you're not there, you know, maybe you, your your uh, husband takes the kid to, to practice or to the game or a neighbor. Or you guys do carpool, whatever, like your damage goes so much farther than even just your presence. You know, your presence doesn't need to be felt right uh in order for the child to be going through some stuff mentally um and I, again i think the last thing that we as parents want to do is to inflict that type of pain onto our children and not allow this thing that they love so much to no longer be that for them to be a, a source of love right in a world where there's so many sources of negativity out there you know we want to make sure that we're keeping our sources of love and of happiness and excitement high we, you know, we don't have enough of those, unfortunately, in today's society, you know, so, um, so yeah. Well, something with, that, something with that too, though, maybe parents can do a good job of really defining their expectations mm -hmm. for, for why, you know, like if, if you're putting your child in a sport for anything other than the pure enjoyment or maybe the physical benefit right. or, you know, the health of the sport, then you're in it, you're already in it with the wrong foot forward. You know what I mean? And, and I understand, especially when kids start to get, competitive and let's just say from like that 14 to 18 year window where hey now we're actually talking opportunities in the future of, right. of junior hockey or college hockey or beyond yeah sure I understand the stakes get get higher no question but 
you know, if you're in it because you're like, oh, well, this is my kid's, you know, college education right here. Well, whoa, 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 we got to have a whole different conversation, you know? And I think that sometimes I think parents get a little, um, you know, I, I think they get a little overzealous or they, or they don't have clear expectations of why they're doing what they're doing, you know? And I think that can be instantly connected in terms of you and what you're doing. You're chasing your passion, right? So your expectation through that is to continue to be passionate, to continue to have fun with it. And once those things start deteriorating, then maybe it's, it's a, you know, an avenue to start looking elsewhere. So I think if the parents can have the expectation only so that my child is having fun, I think the natural outcomes are, are going to be exactly that. They're going to be natural. They're going to be exactly what they're supposed to be. But I think, unfortunately, what's happening is that parents are getting lost in comparison of comparing their child to a, another parent's kid. Right. And I, and I think through that, it's creating so much toxicity or they're comparing their, their 12 year old or 14 year old to a player in the NHL. And I just, you're setting your kid up for failure, you know, and it's, 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 it's not fair to them. And it's, and it's not fair to you, all of the turmoil, all of the tension that's going to be created through that, you know? And it's funny that I, I hear that conversation all the time and I, I no longer coach a, a full season team. I did for a few years for three or four, four years, um, where I coached at a U16 and a U18 level. Um, and I also assisted uh, part-time with the USHL team. But it's, you know, that comparison is absolutely detrimental. You know, no player, it, you know, yeah, you can be like-minded or you can have, you know, aspirations to play like another player, sure, or, or at a higher level. But when you start comparing your child to another child, like, it's your child's duty to be the best version of himself. And it shouldn't be like, oh, well, if you play more like Johnny over here, well, no, your son isn't Johnny. Your son is your son or daughter or whatever. Um, and, and that's really, really dangerous territory because it creates a lot of animosity um, between that child and his teammate. Mm -hmm. It also it, it also creates just a really negative expectation of like, well, maybe little Johnny is a natural goal scorer and little Rusty is a natural stay-at-home defenseman which are very, very different roles. And I think what parents don't understand is you need like a lot of different roles, you know, countless different roles to make a successful team and countless di different roles can have a successful experience in the sport and play at a great level. Um, you know, and, and like you said too, like comparing, you know, sometimes parents might be blinded to compare it to a, a collegiate or professional level. It's like, well, that, th that's crazy. Like, that's a that's a professional playing the sport at the highest possible level with disposable resources like that's not what your 14 year old child is right you know or, or younger or whatever but more than that i just see comparing child to child and, and that is the absolute worst thing any parent can ever do because it's it's not fair to the other child who's just doing their thing and doing this loving the sport and playing their hardest and it's certainly very unfair to your own child because your child is not that kid. Yeah, you know? sure. And I, and I think another layer to that is I think, unfortunately, when we're comparing, uh, you know, our child to, you know, making it to the NHL level, we're not, we're not comparing them to, you know, uh, let's, who could we say, the Ryan Reeves, the fourth liners. We're always comparing them to the Austin yeah. Matthews, to the Patrick Kane, to the Crosby, the McDavid. And guess what? Your child, that may not be them. They might not have the hands. They might not be that goal scorer, but they may be that fourth-line guy that's going to grind their way to the NHL and be blocking shots and being on the PK. So not only are you doing them a disservice by comparing 
you're also comparing them to the wrong style of player, the wrong type of role player that your child is going to be. So they're yeah. never, they, of course they can, you can work on your hands in summer and they can get better, but Patrick Kane is on a whole nother level than anybody in the world. And you're choosing to compare your son or daughter again to that person. Yeah. I guess like a funny, a funny perspective. If you flip it, that would be like a child saying, you know, dad, you should be more like Elon Musk or mom. Why aren't you more like Oprah? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those are like the most like iconic one percenters, which is exactly what Austin Matthews or, you know, you know, John Tavares, take your pick. It doesn't matter. You know, they're all the same, but um, yeah, it, that's an extremely, extremely, you know, it, that makes no sense to me. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because, you know, I do a lot of, of work with the mental training with uh, my buddy, Matt's. And whenever we're doing like our live coaching car calls and webinars, we, we always ask the kids, you know, how was this week in hockey? How'd your games go? Right. And, and uh, we have like a, a group um, chat and WhatsApp. So the kids will send messages in and be like, Hey, I want to be more like this. This is the kind of player I am. Who should I watch? And I think that's so powerful, right. To, to try and look up to guys that actually fit our mold as a player. It's, it's terrible. Again, like I said, to, compare a fourth line guy to a first line guy, but understanding that you can make it being that for like, I remember uh, my, my first year in Syracuse in the American league, our captain uh, won a cup with Anaheim in 2007. He was your typical glass and out defenseman. Like in today's NHL, maybe that's not as um, valuable anymore, but to a certain degree, it's going to be. Um, but I just looked at him. I was thinking, wow, why would I compare myself to him? We're completely different guys, but I almost like made in my mind him like less than me, right? Because he wasn't an offensive defenseman. He wasn't a guy that was going to score goals. But again, what I'm trying to say is that there's different roles on every single team um, and all those roles need to be filled. So just because your son or ch uh, daughter isn't that Patrick Kane guy doesn't mean that they can't be successful in their sport. But you're, again, you're doing them a disservice by trying to compare them to people that they're not, you know? Um, so I think I just wound up repeating myself there. <laughs> no, no it, it's true though. I mean, I, I, especially a lot of the kids I work with are at like a, you know, a 14 to 18 window of AAA hockey where they're, they're knocking on the doorstep of junior hockey and maybe college hockey. And naturally they get hung up on statistics yeah. um, because unfortunately that is a driving factor of recruiting to some degree. Right. Um, and it's like, I try to explain to kids. I'm like, well, you know, your goal, like maybe if I had a, a more of a stay-at-home defenseman, I go, well, the first thing that a, a scout would be looking at for your role is did you finish every hit? Did you, you know, how were you on the penalty kill? How was your first pass? They're not looking at how many goals you scored this year because they already have their power play defenseman that's going to run the umbrella. That, that's not you. It's never going to be you. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing that, like, I think I kind of call it, like, the identity crisis where, like, I think sometimes kids don't, they see like, oh, well, I need to go score more goals. It's like, yeah, sure. If you can chip in on the offense, that's wonderful. But you need to have your set of strengths. And every single player in any single sport has their own unique set of strengths. And you got to dominate like two or three things in your lane. And then if you can add more, like more layers to your game, absolutely. Of course you should. But if you're just like below average in like five things, well, I'd rather take the player that's like an exceptional at one thing because I can plug them in, you know, and that's where I think a lot of kids, I think they lose sight of, you know, or maybe they get blinded by statistics, you know, and 
Are they important? Yeah, sure. They tell a part of the story, but by no means do they tell the whole story. Yeah, for sure. And I think too, it's, it's important to remember what our strengths are in terms of that, that you don't, don't get too lost in the things that maybe you can't do well. Right. Um, because there's always going to be people out there, the critics, the, the people behind the glass, the people behind, you know, the social media accounts, they're always going to point out your weaknesses. And I think that is enough. That's time. You know, that's the perfect time for you to triple down on your strengths. Like, so yes, always work on the things that you're good at. And then naturally you're going to start seeing the things that you're not good at. And of course you want to give them attention. I'm not saying stay away from them, but by identifying and, and realizing our weaknesses, um, we now turn them into strengths because now they're going to be things that we're going to actively be working on. But I think for myself, my, my first year, again, I was, I was down in Syracuse and, you know, I was uh, an offensive defenseman, but on that particular team, they needed more from me. And I got so lost um, in trying to do all these other things that I lost sight of the, the things that I was good at that got me to that level. And then my career went down very fast because again, I was trying to, focus on all these things that these outsiders were telling me to do, which, which is again, right. valuable. But again, I put a hundred percent of my focus into that and 0% of focus. in again, I, what got me to that level, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and it's one thing to be well-rounded, which is what every player you want to try to be. Yeah. Um, but you don't, again, you don't want to lose sight of your core strengths yeah. because that again, any player that makes any team, and I don't care if we're talking about a squirt team, here in Cleveland, or if you're talking about an NHL team, every player was selected to play on any team because of something that that coaching staff saw that you brought to the table. Mm -hmm. So the second that you lose that, now, now you're kind of in like a tailspin. Like now a coach doesn't know how to use you, where to play you, you're unhappy, you're not performing well. Like, and it's funny because like before tryouts and when I do, I do a lot of stuff with kids in the springtime and at the end of the winter. And of course, every kid is all, you know, stressed out for tryouts. And I tell them, I'm like, yeah. Just go and be the best version of yourself. And if a coach doesn't fall in love with you there, then you don't want to play there. It's that simple. Yeah. You know, but the kids are like focused on doing this and, and scoring goals and making big plays. Or I don't know really what kids are focused on half the time, but it's like just go and just be the perfect version of yourself. Try your hardest. Be a great teammate. You know, maybe go up and shake, shake the coach's hand. Be polite. Be respectful. Yeah. Work as hard as you possibly can make it evident that you're working as hard as you possibly can. No regrets after that. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I think, I think uh, people, people actually, you know, the kids that we're talking about here is just stop. Let's just stop the comparison. Let's just focus on ourselves. Let's focus on what we can do daily throughout a season in order to be our best selves, the best version of ourselves, which Russ has, has talked a lot about. Um, so I think, buddy, I think that can, that can be it. Um, so before we ended here, is there anything you would like to say to kind of maybe for the parents, anything you'd like to leave the parents with in terms of maybe how they can approach a better relationship with their son or daughter, uh, to lessen the damage that they're doing currently? Yeah. I mean, I just think as long as parents are always stepping with the, the foot forward of like why their, their, their child's playing the game and how, how to positively and lovingly support that. As long as that's always at the core of your thought process and, and your delivery, probably more than anything, your delivery. Um, I mean, good things will happen, but, um, you know, love your child and, and know that your child loves the sport and, and that should be enough and make it a positive experience for them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Alrighty, buddy. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, lots of, lots of powerful stuff you had to say there. Uh, truly grateful for this experience with you.
My name is Jeff Lavecchio. Uh, played professional hockey for 10 years, and now I own uh, Ripped Hockey, where I train elite hockey players in St. Louis. Okay, very nice. And, and when and I, I lived in St. Louis for one summer, I think you remember that. I think I remember rumblings back then that you kind of had this stuff kind of going on back then. This was, I don't know, six, seven years ago, summer of 2012 or 13, something like that. So it's been a, maybe a long process for you to get to where you are now, yeah? Yeah, for sure. I, I, you know, I had a concussion before even my first year pro after I signed and played in the American League and I wound up missing my whole first year um, professionally with that. Wound up coming back from it. But uh, so after my third year, I just knew I had another one that year where I got hit from behind and like had a bunch of bones and my face fractured and knocked out again. And I was like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to start this company like just in case, you know, something bad happens. At least I'll have some experience doing it. And I just wanted to give back to hockey players in St. Louis as well. And uh, started with two clients that summer. And by my 10th going into my 10th year pro, I think I worked with like. 150 just over the off season, just over the summer in like four or five months. Um, so, uh, you know, it grew pretty big and got to a point where I was like, all right, I think I should, I'll be better at this. I, I can help more people and I don't have to risk my brain anymore because I had quite a few concussions. So. Yeah, for sure, man. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Um, and, and obviously to get to this point, I, and I know the GMBM, the give more, be more, right? Like fucking incredible, you know, following you on, on Instagram and everything. And one thing I like the most, I would have to say, is honestly you like cleaning up your hotel room uh, every, every time before you leave. And it's so fascinating to me because what you're doing, right, is just making somebody else's life easier. And I do the same stuff too, like shopping carts in the, in the grocery store and stuff. So what is the, you know... What is really the premise behind it? Obviously, give more, be more. I understand that. But where did kind of that thought process really come from? Yeah, I was at a uh, at like a big convention for a supplement company that I was working with using uh, after like around Christmas time, uh, my first year not playing anymore. My first year, um, I went with another ex-hockey player and they were into this supplement company, wanted me to get into it. Um, and it was like, it was like one of those, I imagined it was going to be like one of those things you see on TV where like you go there and everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid and everybody's like, like just like too much. And I went there and it was kind of like that, but it was like real, like it wasn't fake. It was like people that just wanted to help other people like lose weight and most part um you know i was getting into it for to help my business and help help have like quality nutrition for my guys and it just like this this like positive energy at this thing it was like a couple thousand people like in this one massive convention center for the whole week and it was just like so much positive energy it was like unbelievable and i was like all right like i need to I, I think I'm a good person, but I can be better and I can be better with my family and kind of like, all this, I don't know why I thought of it. I was like, I need to give more and then I'll be more. And like, and then I, I don't, I, my flight got delayed to go home for two days. So I was sitting around in Arizona by myself and went and got that tattooed on me. And, and then, uh, you know, just started talking about that and trying to do things where I could just like give more to people in like the easiest ways. Like you said, one of them was just when I go to a hotel, like I think about, you know, those people, they probably don't love doing that job. You know, the people who come in and, and clean the rooms, they probably do it more of they're trying to help their family and, and whatever their circumstances are. And I was like, well, I can help them have like at least like five minutes of a better day or smile when they walk in my room after I've left, not tornadoing the room. Like I'm sure a lot of kids do not thinking that, Hey, there's somebody who's got to clean this up. <laughs> right. uh, you know? So I just, uh, I put that on Instagram and I just try and, uh, 
show people like things that I do, um, just to inspire people or, or try and help people with whatever. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and obviously, again, like I said, after following you here now, it seems like it's, it's, it's freaking getting big popularity, you know, posting, uh, you know, kids around the world, it looks like uh, repping, repping your company. What has the re reception been like, especially there in St. Louis? Yeah, I mean, it's all, all my clients, like they all obviously know what it is. And I have Give More, Be More written in massive letters in my gym here in St. Louis. Um, you know, the, the kids all like buying my clothes and like I got my pros wearing the hoodies and stuff. So that's really cool. But like the main thing for me is, and the reason that um, I came, I, I approached this company that worked with another company I worked with. So had like kind of a, a business hook up there and talked to them. I was like, Hey, I just want to get these shirts for my clients. I want them to get, give more, be more written on their shirts. So if they're having a bad day or they're having a hard time in the gym and they're like, you know, I'm tired and they're looking for excuses and they look down like I would wanted them to see that, like get more, be more and like be like, all right, if I want to be more like I like don't give up on the set or like give my hundred and don't be okay giving 90, you know, that that's where it kind of started. And then, um, then it turned into like me designing clothes with this, with humble hockey, uh, my partners in that venture. And now it's just like, I don't know, it's becoming, becoming a thing. And it's not like it's huge or anything, but it's, it's pretty cool. And I have some like organizations wanting to order from me and like teams and things like that. So I, I think that's really cool. I just, I wanted to make it a cool looking brand that you didn't know like what it was, but like people who didn't know what the message is behind it. It's just like you look down and you get inspired. Like I'm not going to give up. I'm going to go harder. That kind of thing. Yeah, for sure, man. That's incredible. Um, and then going back to the ripped hockey. So what, what is like your target, uh, you know, age group or is that irrelevant? You're just wanting to ho help hockey players around the world or what's that like? Well, it started just like in St. Louis and I have, I have a massive passion for helping kids in St. Louis um, reach their potential, whatever that may be. Um, just because like when I was growing up, just like pro probably a lot of people everywhere, but like, more so when I was growing up here in St. Louis, like we didn't have guys coming back. We didn't have guys who were like making it and then retiring and coming back until I was already out of the, the St. Louis system. Um, so I kind of wanted to help guys in any way I could. And I, I didn't make it to signing in any contract by being just like nasty. Like I had to figure out any way I could to find those like little tiny one degree separators. And I tried to find them everywhere I could stay relevant and get better and things like that. So my thought process is, well, if I'm working with the best kids and I can tell them these things that I did to get to me where I was, like, how good are they going to be? Mm -hmm. um, so I started off working with pretty much anyone. And now um, as my company grows, like I, I focus on pretty much like the elite players um, in St. Louis. So like NHL, AHL, D1, juniors, USHL. Um, and then like probably down to 13 year old triple A players. But every year I get more and more pros and, Unfortunately, there's only so many hours in the day. So that's why I started doing this online training with uh, Train Heroic, who I partnered with to, to give out my programs and sell them online for cheap. Because my thing is like, I want people to be able to train with a real program, someone coaching them, actual videos. So they, they don't have to like not know what they're doing or do it wrong, which is like, you know, it could be dangerous or whatever for them. So this way they can still have a great training experience and not have an excuse uh, saying, oh, I don't have a trainer. Well, now you're like you're doing exactly what my, my AHL guys are doing. You know, yeah. you don't have an excuse. So you can buy a cheap gym pass or you can do this at home and you will get better for, for you know, pennies on the dollar of what it costs to train with a good strength coach.
Yeah, absolutely, man. That's incredible. Uh, lots of good stuff going on for you, right? Um, and one thing I wanted to talk about too is, is you know, I, I put it on my Instagram, that mind-body connection. I, again, I see we, you know, we have your players doing all this breathing um, either before the, the workouts, but I think it's mainly coming at the end where they try and calm that nervous system down. Would you share a little bit about that and kind of how you went that direction? Um, I, like I said, I was always looking – dog's barking here. I was looking for like that, that one degree of how can I get a little bit better? How can I get a little bit better? And uh, I got into meditation like probably my seventh year pro. My, when I went to Japan, my, my coach was Canadian. Um, and he was super into meditation and I tried, but I wasn't good at it. I'm not, I'm not good at quieting my mind. It's always going. And he taught, told me about uh, headspace, this app, and that helped me immensely. So like that, I had already been into like breathing and learning how to breathe. And I'd done Wim Hof and, um, you know, focused on like different, uh, breathing counts and diaphragmatic breathing and meditation. So I was like, all right, like obviously, and Mike said, you know, what else do we do 20,000 times a day as humans? Nothing. So obviously breathing has to be important. Mm -hmm. So I like learned more about breathing, experimented with myself, my own workouts and just found, and then with the kids found that like they, their minds are going so fast. Like they're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, emails, homework, like their phone, like it's nonstop. And they don't even know it, but their brain is just always probably releasing dopamine when they look at their Facebook and they see like, so they go to their Instagrams, so like how can we calm them down and like get them to like learn to be. And so like the best time when kids are tired is after you them in a workout. So I'm like, all right, this is how we start the recovery process, shifting from sympathetic to parasympathetic. Um, so immediately they get into rest and digest. And, and I'm also getting them at a time when they're, I tell them, if you start talking, I'm kicking you out of the gym. That's how serious I take it. And since they respect me, they won't, they won't do it or else I will kick them out of the gym. Um, but that it's, it's teaching them like how important breathing is and how it can calm you down and how meditation is powerful. So like, instead of, you know, I'm more like plants over pills. So, uh, I think that like learning how to heal yourself and, and do these things to calm yourself down rather than taking some kind of pill or something is an invaluable skill. So it's been cool to see them like they ask for it. What song are we meditating to today? What are we breathing to? And then for them kids that are guys, kids, whoever to text me and be like, Hey man, I did the meditation and I slept so much better because I calmed my mind before bed. And like, that makes you such a better human, not only a hockey player. So I, I love that stuff. And, and how would you say that could uh, directly almost correlate into the, the pregame nerves that we all at some point are going to start experiencing with? Have you had any talks with your players in terms of maybe visualization or meditation, maybe a little bit before games as well? 100%. I told, I tell I, anyone I, work with or any of the kids that I coach I tell them like the visualization stuff that I used to do the way I used to run through face-off wins and losses all throughout the ice like sitting up in the stands just taking five minutes seeing catch breakout passes seeing myself standing in front of the net and tipping pucks in seeing myself you know beating a guy to the back wall in the power play to keep the puck in like stuff like that like just those little things and just going there over and over and over in your mind and just how important and powerful your mind can be when you learn how to use it to your advantage so yeah always talking about that stuff yeah absolutely man it, it, you know towards the end of my career i uh, you know sometimes i wouldn't visualize so much other than just on the ice smiling and feeling good knowing my legs are feeling good feeling powerful and sometimes that was even more you know, rewarding for myself than 
you know, trying to vision myself in the corner or in front of the net and things like that. So, um, and to go back to what you said, plants over pills. Um, I believe you have some type of connection, right? With, is it the, the Veda? Yeah. Yeah. I'm i uh, I'm a brand ambassador for Veda or athlete ambassador. And then I'm on their board for, uh, for like strength coach and trainers and people like that. I'm also an investor after I used it for a couple of months, I was completely sold on. I never felt better in my life and I'm somebody who's had over 10 concussions. So it was really cool to see how much CBD helped me just like to sleep, to recover, to feel better, cognitive function, all these things, you know, and I, I had been on antidepressants because of my concussions, not because I was depressed, but I had this problem with my vestibular system coming back from my bad one where my ears and my eyes had a problem talking and I did vestibular rehab and all these things. And the pills definitely helped me a hundred percent. There was like a side effect of this one antidepressant that, that had positive effects on your vestibular system. So, um, you know, I didn't want to take those pills forever. So was looking for a way to get out of that and, uh, found beta or they found me and we started talking and yeah, it's uh, that's been a game changer for sure. Oh man, I can imagine you. I, and would you say, uh, had you had that maybe back in your career, maybe you could have then extended your career. Yeah. I mean, who knows, you know, it's so hard to say. I like I mean, the way that I, the way that they, they treated my concussion and my post concussion syndrome, like now that would never have happened. Like it was ridiculous. Um, not, it wasn't anyone's fault, just ridiculous in the fact that like, that's what the protocols were. And just like sitting around until you feel good to ride the bike. And then, oh, you had a bad day. We'll sit around for two or three more days. Don't do anything. Try the bike. Oh, you, you don't feel good? Sit around two or three. Like, that's not what they do now. It's not, you know, and luckily I learned that in the beginning. But like, I, you know, my, that concussion, if it was a month or something, you know, who knows how that would have affected me as opposed to 15 or 14 months or whatever it was, mm. you know. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was a tough one. Yeah, for sure. Um, fuck, I feel like I'm kind of going all over the place in terms of my questions here, but I also want, now I'm jumping back again here in, in terms of the, the training you do. I also see that you train uh, these kids' parents too. Um, yeah. What has that been like? Because, you know, for myself, like I think a lot about the, the parent-player uh, relationship and how sometimes the parents can get in the way, but now they're in the gym working out with you. So maybe there's a different relationship going on here. So what has that been like? Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Um... I had a couple of people ask me over the years, oh, would you train like parents? And I was like, ah, no, it's, I just want to keep it to the, the hockey players. I don't really want to work with general population. Just, that's just me. I like to like push people hard and, and people who want to push really hard or whatever. So, but uh, I had some new clients, the Frederick brothers last year, they're, and they're both pro hockey players now. Grant just graduated from Miami last week and uh, Trent's with the Bruins system. And uh, they're like, Hey, you know, our dad wants to work out with you. And I just, those kids are, the best people ever. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll train your dad. And then that turned into his dad and his one uncle. And then his dad is two uncles. Then his dad is two, two uncles and their best friend. And then everybody started seeing, I was training them. So then some, I had some groups of moms asking me, will you train us? And my thing during the hockey season is like, I'm not as busy. I, I work very hard in the summer, so I don't have to work as hard the rest of the year. And that's when all the guys are home, right? For the off season. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll take a couple of you on, but it wound up being like actually very rewarding and extremely fun. Um, and it also helped me build even a better culture within my company and better bonds with my players because I know what's going on. I know how their parents are. If, if I know one of the parents are hard on their son, like I, I know that's going on. So I, in, when he comes in the gym in a certain way, 
I know what's, you know, why kind of things like that. So um, it's just been a cool thing all around. And I think probably moving forward, those are probably the only real general population clients I'll probably train just because I, I like that connection and it builds that culture within the company. Yeah, for sure, man. That, that's impressive stuff because I think, like you said, sometimes you know that these kids got a, maybe a different situation going on at home. And the fact that you're aware of that, again, again I think about myself and, and my past, like hockey was, was my outlet, right? For, for most of us, right? But I had my at-home shit, you know, as well. Um, so going to the hockey rink was literally my escape from, from my reality. Um, but I, uh, then I get to the hockey rink and I got coaches screaming at me and shit like that. And it wound up not being so much fun. You know what I mean? So yeah. the signs are there. And the fact that you're aware of this, I think, man, just fucking mad props to you for that. Like, that's incredible. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about is just that transition out of hockey. Um, I'm, I'm in that process myself. There's many players I know that have been through that process. Um, would you say, for, and then this is going to be for current pros or it doesn't even matter, making sure we've got something lined up um, before we make that final decision that it's going to be done. And if not, what do you think the like mental impacts could be on guys if they don't have that thing and now they're without hockey? Yeah, I think there's a couple things that I've learned over the last two years going through that process. And I was very lucky that I – lucky that I started that company and then lucky to site that when it got hard to play and train that many people in the summer, like that was very taxing on my body training two, three hours a day and then having to train 50 guys like in the day like that. But I was like, you know what, this is going to set myself up. Like I know it. And then the season kind of became my, became my off season. Like the season was easy because I was only working an hour at practice a day. Mm-hmm. So like the season was actually hilariously easy. My last like, five years playing, four years playing, because it was like, oh, how am I got to work two hours? Like, this is great. You know, I can take a nap today. So that was funny. But uh, we had somebody on our podcast who works with the NHL, actually, uh, my cousin and I, and he works on helping players kind of find those outside interests. And they found that like the guys who start learning new skills or start, you know, shadowing somebody in whatever field they're interested in during the season, they wind up having like more successful seasons. Because uh, I think for multiple reasons, uh, probably one, like working your brain in different ways is going to open up like new pathways and things and get them firing. So like more brain capacity, more working just makes sense, like simplistically that maybe you'll be able to think faster on the ice or something or think differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then two, obviously, then you know what you like and you can probably, you know, kiss some frogs and find out what you don't like. Over, over a couple of off seasons. Ooh, you know what? I did that for two months and I really don't want to work at a desk eight hours a day for the rest of my life. Now I know that. Now I can look at something else. So I think that especially if any pro athletes, like they should use their leverage of their professional status to call friends and whoever and say, hey, you know, I'm home for the summer. You know, they know you're a pro athlete or tell them you are and say, can I come shadow you? And, you know, people want to be around pro athletes because it's not easy being a pro, which is why a lot of companies then go after pro athletes. Right. So I just think setting yourself up is, it, not, you don't even have to look at it setting yourself up. Because I think people, guys will be like, oh, I don't want to take my eye off today. I don't want to take my eye off the season. And it's like, well, you're not, you're just learning what else you're going to do, what else you like, things like that. Because Wayne Gretzky had to retire. Mario Lemieux had to retire. You're definitely going to have to retire. You know, it's like, you're not them. You're definitely going to have to retire. So like you should learn some interests and gain some other skills. And then, I mean, my transition was easy, but the second point that I got to make is I think guys should continue to work out. 
I see too many guys just so excited to not, not have to train it. And there's so many positive chemicals released in your body and in your brain when you work out. And we're used to pushing ourselves day after day after day. And then so many guys just stop cold turkey. It's probably like stopping doing drugs, I would guess. Like you get hooked on it and then your body's not getting those chemicals. And you used to get them every day from exercising and now you're not. So that's one of the reasons that I think a lot of guys get depressed and then that leads to getting overweight and unhealthy and, you know, maybe doing bad things. So I think continuing to, to work out and finding a way that you like to work out because it's really nice to not have somebody tell you, Hey, you got to run a 300 in under 58 seconds anymore. Like, I don't, I don't ever have to do that again, you know, like, uh, so I can work out in a way that I like to work out. So it becomes more of a fun thing. So I think guys should focus and girls should focus on that as well. Yeah. And, and in terms of working out again, uh, you know, I, I, I think I saw a shift in your training going from fucking trying to just put on all the weight in the world. Right. And now it seems like you shift into more body awareness, right. And, and being more yeah. of that athlete, how important would you say that is too? And in, in today's game for sure, uh, for, you know, for the hockey players out there that are listening. A hundred percent. I mean, I was going through that shift a, a while ago. I mean, we, I still, we, there are phases where we lift heavy, but like, I'm not really into like a lot of bilateral lifts, which is two limbs. The bench press would be a dumbbell or a barbell bench press. We have to use both arms at the same time. That would be bi bilateral uh, back squat. That would be bilateral. Um, it doesn't mean that we never do them. I mean, I personally never back squat anyone. I don't load the spine, uh, but there's phases where we'll do that, but a lot more phases are single limb in nature, lateral, contralateral, uh, way more about training as an athlete. Like, uh, cause I was very, I was very fast on the ice. Like that's what I was known for, but, and I, I was strong and I was powerful fast. Okay. Why can't I just beat guys wide? Because I didn't have like the ability to stop as well because I wasn't, I was working on all strength, power, strength, power, not athleticism while being powerful, being able to stop and start on a dime and controlling the puck while doing that. Like I didn't have that ability because when I was younger, I mean, all I focused on was like strength, power, strength, pop, like that stuff. And I think, yes, you need to do those. You need to be those things, but I want to train the guys to be those things through an athletic channel rather than like just like just lifting because right. i think that i can i can get the athleticism out of them through the way we lift and the the things we do in the gym versus like okay we'll work on strength now we'll work on agility now we'll work on athleticism now i try and kind of put it all together mm, absolutely okay so vex you wake up in the morning what's your routine like before you put yourself in the gym to to fucking start hammering out these workouts <laughs> uh started doing something different recently uh i wake up i try and wake up at like 5 a.m now um i'm trying to go to bed at like 9 or 10 i can't even tell you like how productive my days are i've always played owl um and me with like russian history the only time i ever really like feel it or don't feel great is if i a couple nights in a row with bad sleep poor quality, not enough time, uh, combination of the both. So like, I know that I need to sleep to feel good. Um, so getting up at five has forced me to go to bed early and I just fall asleep at like nine o'clock now, like a nerd, but it works. Um, circadian rhythm that, you know, that's supposed to be good for you, all these things. So I wake up around five, I have, uh, either a black coffee or green tea right away. And then at like an hour after that, so it'd be like half an hour before I go to the gym, I'll have, uh, 
some BCAAs in my creed. I do have a little bit of pre-workout. I can't lie. I shouldn't, but I do work out. And then uh, if I was training guys, I would then go – I would work out for myself. Then, I, and then afterwards, I would just train guys all day long for like 12 hours, 14 hours in the offseason. Wow. Yeah, it's a long days, long days. So uh, with COVID, I'm probably going to go less – less guys maybe i don't know i kind of got to see what happens when we come back here how that's going to work yeah but yeah that's my day fucking right uh and what is the situation like are, are the rinks uh, going to be opening up there at all soon or june 15th the rinks are supposed to open here but you know a bunch of stuff came out from the cdc today that uh, they're saying that the, the virus doesn't live on surfaces as long and all, I don't know, some other things. And there's a gym here that sued the Missouri uh, government saying that the state of Missouri, that like it's unconstitutional to keep gyms closed. Uh, so they're, then they just took it to federal court actually. So, I mean, we could be open like on Monday I've heard, but June 15th is what I've heard for a while now. Wow. Okay. Fucking rights, man. Um, well, I got nothing, uh, no other questions popping. Well, you mentioned a uh, podcast. That's the, that's the hockey think tank. How, how's that thing? How did that come about? Uh, my cousin Topher Scott was a coach at Cornell for five years. Um, just got out of that, was kind of decided what he was going to do. And he came up with this hockey think tank website. And people were really liking the things he was doing and kind of some videos that he was putting out. He was like one of the first guys to put out like videos on Twitter showing like things that were happening in the NHL from like not ESPN and stuff like that. And uh, he got a lot of like people talking about him and, and all this stuff and people watching it. And so he called me one day. He's like, you want to do a podcast with me? And I was like, I just said yes, because he's a genius, and I, I've always looked up to him, and I love him, and he's a role model of mine. I'm like, yeah, yeah, man, I'll do a podcast. Didn't even know what that meant. I mean, I watched Joe Rogan's podcast, but, like, that's it. And, uh, you know, the first episode was him just, like, going over my career, my concussion, and why I am who I am now, and what I do, and things like that. And then, like, we just started getting guests on and talking about hockey and their journey, and it, it blew up, and I, we, we – We've probably done like 110 or 115 episodes. We have 300, over 300,000 downloads, 310,000 downloads. So it's like, it's getting pretty big. And in the hockey world, like it's, you know, it's pretty cool. I was at, a, I was at airport one time and this guy was standing next to me and I was just talking to one of the kids I coach. And he's like, are you the guy on the hockey think tank? I recognize your voice. And that it was, it was obviously at a hockey tournament, but that was pretty funny that that, that happened. And we started talking and he's, I listen to every episode. So, um, but we've had on like mental coaches and resiliency coaches, nutritionists, Martin St. Louis, like D1 coaches, pro coaches, you know, we've had Cam Jansen, who, you know, like that was a great episode, Robbie Shrimp. We've had all these different types of people, men and women in the hockey world that just try and help uh, parents and hockey players and whoever. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then uh, last question here. I, I think you, uh, one of the guys you train, um, in the Special Olympics, is that is that correct? Uh, Paralympics, yeah, Paralympics. It's uh, Josh Pauls, yeah, guy's an absolute animal. Yeah, absolute animal. Like, man, and I, I didn't even, I, when he first asked me to start training him, I was like, you know, I, I you know, I've never trained a, a Paralympic athlete before. Like, I'll, I'll read up on it, but like, you know, this, this isn't something I've ever done before. And he's like, no, 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 it's totally fine. Like, 
we'll, we'll learn as we go. You'll learn from me. I'll learn from you. Yada, yada, yada. And the guy is like an absolute animal. He's a hilarious human being. He's, he's just all these things. I mean, there's a reason that he's got three gold medals and then a million world championship medals. And he's got a beer named after him here in St. Louis. He's got a book out that he wrote. Like he's a professional speaker. He's, he's just a really, really good dude. And I would encourage anybody out there who's looking for a good book to read to uh, check out Josh Paul's book, the, the captain of the uh, men's sled hockey team. Yeah. Okay. And how does that help you when you're, when you are training your, your, your clients, the hockey players to like maybe gain some inspiration guys from, from this guy, look at, he's got, you know, in the Paralympics, like you think you can't do this. Look at this guy. Has that ever come into the, the picture at home while in, during training sessions? I, I have a couple of guys who are uh, junior hockey players who are coming back from injuries over the last hockey season. And I would always make sure they were coming in after Josh. So like, and I would make sure they would come in when they would see Josh um leaking and you know doesn't have his legs on and crushing it and you know and i'm like all right like what's your excuse like you, and you know it didn't even need to be said but like just kind of like oh oh you don't want to work hard oh okay all right you know what who was in here before you okay that's what i thought let's go so, <laughs> all right perspective is a powerful tool oh for sure absolutely sometimes if you need a little mo motivation just change your perspective and that's fucking all you need right um, exactly. so, so for anybody listening, uh, any type of advice, suggestions, um, you know, this is kind of stayed in, in terms of hockey training, things like that. What would be your advice for anybody listening? Uh, I, for anybody listening, that want to learn about training, like Google and YouTube can be your best friend. Like you, you need to learn who to follow, but there's so much free information on Instagram, on YouTube. There's so much bad information, like very bad. Like just because somebody's hot doesn't mean they know what they're doing. And conversely, like somebody's out of shape doesn't mean they, they don't know what they're doing too. Like, you know, so, um, or what you think's out of shape. Right. But, but there's so much free information out there and there's somebody, you know, that trains with a professional that you could say, Hey, like, can I talk to them? Give me their number. Like, and if you don't have them DM me on Instagram and ask me questions because I answer all of them and, and, there's somebody out there to help. Newt's will help. Yeah. Like, weren't you a Czech guy, Mike? Uh, weren't you doing that stuff back oh, in the day? Oh my gosh! Yeah, no, I do, I do. I, I'm very much into all the body awareness stuff. But the the Czech, I don't know if we're talking about the same thing. But it was when I was living in St. Louis, I got hooked up. Yeah. With, uh, you know, have you heard of Jackie Albus? No, I haven't. I, I'm not sure if she's in St. Louis any longer. But she, she was my trainer when I was living there seven years ago. I would train with her a couple times a, a week. But she got me hooked up with this guy. Can't remember his name, Jason. Something he got me connected with Poliquin, and yeah. it, she was Czech certified, C H E K. I don't know if that's the same thing that you're talking about. Yeah, you do yeah. that body assessment, you find your weaknesses. That shit yeah. is next level. In, in yeah, that. I don't, I don't, do, I'm not a Czech guy, but I played with guys who are right after, you know, I was hanging out with you that summer and skating with you. So I learned about it. Um, but it's like, what? Like, ask you, ask me, like reach out to people on Instagram, like fo follow people that other people you trust are following and then learn from them. There's so much free information out there. That I personally think there's no excuse mm -hmm. to like not, not learning to train your body correctly, whether you're an athlete or you're just somebody who wants to be healthy or a productive human, like 
if your body goes, your quality of life goes. So like, why aren't you taking care of your body? Why aren't you taking care of your temple, your pyramid? The better in shape you are, the, the more fun things you can do for more amount of time on this earth. If you only get one amount of time on it, like you might as well enjoy it. So keep your body tight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another, I love that we're talking because more questions are coming. Uh, what, what is your opinion on off-ice cardio? I, for myself, the, the, real quick, just why I'm asking, because I, you know, when I first signed with Anaheim, it was fucking cardio every day. We're doing tempo runs, we're doing shuttle runs, and I'm throwing up sometimes. But then I'm never really feeling good going into the gym the next day. And then towards the end of my career, I, I, my, my favorite trainer that I've had, he's from Finland. Uh, he was working with the, the top team next to Jokerit in Finland. So one of the top, you know, strength and conditioning positions in Finland. And through their uh, program, it was no more cardio off the ice. It was, it was mind-body connection um, off the ice. Maybe some bike sprints, doing some crazy breathing on the bikes. But what is your philosophy in terms of off-ice cardio? Uh, I, don't, it, I don't think it really translates. I think that it's more like the way that I – program workouts like your heart rate's elevated like most of the time i mean not for every workout obviously every phase is different so i guess that's a stupid blanket statement to say when we're really going like the way that like the way that we lift you can lift weights and your heart rate can be up like you're running hmm. but you're also getting the benefits of strength training and plyometrics and all these other things so like i i will do like agility but like more to be a better athlete than to be like, all right, like we're just going to do cardio. So your heart rate gets up. So it's, that's good. So you're good on the ice because I don't believe in that. I believe in short sprints, just working on fast twitch muscle fibers. Uh, we don't do any runs over 40 yards ever, ever, ever. Like we'll do shuttles at the end of the summer because guys have to, and this is one thing I don't like guys have to test it. So if a guy has to test it, unfortunately, whether I think that's going to help him in hockey or not, part of his job or college or juniors is you got to pass that test to be able to play. Mm. So you do got to do those things and it'll help. It'll help on the ice for general heart rate stuff, heart rate variability and, and recovery and things like that. But you know, once you get on the ice, it doesn't matter. It's completely different. Isn't it fucked, man? Like you can train all summer, right? And then you get on the ice day one and you're just gassed. It's like, what did I just do for the last four months or three months? It's, it, I don't understand it, and I don't think I ever will. Um, I think it's just because there's so, there's so much shifting between anaerobic and aerobic on the ice. Mm. Like, you're going every shift. It's like aerobic, aerobic, anaerobic. You know, and then, like, sprint, 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 glide, like, or stride, slow, stride, slow, and then slowly. Like, it's just like this – and then there's strength, so much strength while you're hitting guys or – pushing when there's so much going on in hockey that it, you just can't train all of those things in the gym. And I don't even think that you should necessarily because you blow your, you, you blow it out. Like it's too hard to do that all year. Yeah. So, well, and, and you think too, like you do all your strength training and then a lot of times the cardio is coming at the end of the training session when you're, you know, your muscles are fucking a lot less than they were coming in. And now you're, maybe you're just potentially causing more harm than, than good to your body. Right. Um, right we do we do all our stuff in the beginning i mean because we never like we're only doing very short very short cardio quote-unquote cardio short sprint short agility because like that's the most important thing to me obviously strength is but like if, you, if your heart rate dies after 10 seconds you can't take a shift so like you got to be an athlete you got to be able to move so yeah for sure for sure um i i you know again now that my career is done i think i want to start getting into like trail running 
So I'm freaking doing, uh, also doing like some hill sprints. And man, if I were to think of any like cardio that did translate, it would maybe be hill sprints because it's, it was, it's a pretty long hill. So I'm, I'm, it's consistent work, 25 seconds. It doesn't have to be like that, but I choose to make it like that. And man, it, you're getting the burn, you're getting the explosiveness because you're going uphill. Um, but fuck, I did long distance running and all that stuff, but just crap. And maybe that's why my knees are so bad now. I don't know, but. Could be, could be. Yeah, we never, we never run over 40 yards unless it's the end of the summer and we're training for the shuttle tests. Yeah. Unfortunately, we'll have to do that. Sure. But, you know, I wish we didn't have to. Yeah. And, and what about yourself? Are you getting on the ice at all anymore or? Uh, because of my concussions, I, you know, it's, what's well, hard for me. Like I didn't have to retire. I still was getting offers for the same amount of money from the year before. Yeah. Um, but you know, I had a lot of concussions and, and so, um, every time I put my gear on, I'll play with the blues alumni when they have games. Every time I put my gear on, I get hit in the puck and I'm like, what? Somebody trying to tell me something. So like my first time, like putting my gear on and playing in like any type of like game, men's league or anything. Bear Jackman, like wrist shot right to the face. And I was like, oh my God, like, come on, man. Like, this is why I retired. Um, but like, you can't put a price on hanging with the boys in the locker room. So I just got to be better at not playing the way that I used to. I got to be a perimeter guy and pretend I have skill and stand outside instead of always just standing in front like an idiot. Yeah, you don't want to be blocking shots right in freaking adult league. Or <laughs> but you guys have. Are a- you going to. Go ahead. Are you going to get into playing men's league? Are you going to be that guy? Or are you going to, you going to take a bit off or what? I don't, I don't know. I, I'm actually going to go skate tomorrow because like I said, you know, this whole situation, I don't have the gym in it. So my cardio is, has gone down significantly. My season was canceled, you know, two months ago. So I'm going to go and skate tomorrow and I'm very excited for it. Just for the pure fact that I don't know I'm going to sweat a lot. You know, yeah. um, I, I know I'm going to be sore after. I'm not looking forward to the warm up that I don't have the option to, to not do before. Um, right. you know, cause yeah, towards the end of my career, my knees were starting to go and it's like my warmups, like, fuck it. It's an hour long and I, I don't have the option to, to skip anything, you know? Um, yeah. but, uh, another question that just came to mind, what was your experience like in Japan? I had thoughts about trying to go and do that too. Like you talked about it, like it was like, fuck, like you're a celebrity over there. Oh, it was, it was great, man. Like I was very fortunate to get over there. Like most of the guys that played in the league when I was there had NHL games. Like it's, there's only three imports on every team. And the one team had a guy had Stefan Bayou. He had 505 show games. And then their other two guys both had a handful of games too. Um, you know, so it was a hard lead to get into, but luckily I did really, really well in Austria, um, the year before. And my line mate was friends with the coach on that team. So he called him and was like, Hey, he'll come in and score for you guys, whatever, whatever. Uh, and luckily I got there and I love, I loved every second of it. Like it was, I mean, obviously it's a little bit tough being in a country where like no one speaks English, like literally no one, um, in the city I was in. But uh, we had a translator everywhere we went on the ice. Coach would be talking on the board. Our translator had skates on. The three imports would huddle around him, and he would translate to us what the coach was saying. Wow. Uh, he didn't play hockey either, so that was pretty funny. He was a baseball guy, so he couldn't skate, so that was hilarious. Um, but a really nice guy. And, uh, yeah, man, like we flew everywhere except for one team that was just a couple hours away. Uh, we, the league was Japan, Russia, South Korea, and China. Um, so flew everywhere. I got my own room on 
to every single road trip except for one for two years. And like we stayed in nice hotels. Our budget was massive. Our, our, our team was owned by the company that makes Kleenex, the brand, uh, Japanese paper company. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was just, it was, the league was so much fun. Like the hockey was actually really good. Just a, a really different style. Very skilled, very fast, um, super fast, but less thinking. Um, very fun hockey though to, to play for sure. Well, fuck, it sounds like maybe you should have gone over there years before, right? Like, oh, I tried actually. I tried when I left the U.S. I had an offer with one team, and I kind of got talked out of going over there. And I was like, man, I would have made a million dollars tax free if I could have been here for, for a, you know, a good amount of time and, and, and finished my career here, you know, but. Two years was awesome. Had a great time. Very thankful for it. It made person learning to work around like cultural barriers that I had never had to deal with, even in Europe. Like even playing in Hungary, like nothing compared to like the cultural and ideological barrier and difference between you know an American and a Japanese person. So that was really cool to like learn those those idiosyncrasies and kind of how different people live and think and evolve work and stuff like that. Yeah, and how, how, how was it? I know for myself, you know, again, speaking for myself, that, you know, as imports going over there to Europe, you know, at the first couple weeks, three weeks, you know, it's, it's really great building those friendships with those guys. But then they kind of just wind up sticking to themselves, right? Speaking their own language, even if they can speak yours. So it's almost like you're secluded. You're on an island a little bit. So I could, can't even imagine what it was like in Japan. But how, how did you stay positive and stay sane, and especially a country that nobody speaks English? Uh, the guys were good guys. There was a couple guys on the team that spoke like decent English. And one of them, one guy spoke very good English and he was all our best friends on the team. We hung out with him a lot. He was, if he wasn't on the team, it would have definitely been with the boys. Um, they all liked us. And, you know, we'd talk with the translator between them. And by the end of the year, you could say enough Japanese and they could maybe say enough English back to you, you know, have conversations and you get really good at using your hands. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, like you said, you're definitely going to stick with the imports more, but it, it also is kind of a cool experience because you really get to learn about less guys on the team and become really good friends with some of those guys. And some of the guys I played with in Europe, like I'll be really good friends with forever just because we spent so much time together because, you know, you only got a couple guys to choose from to hang out with, you know, so you're going to hang out with some guys more than others and, and stuff like that and, and bond over being away and missing your family and home and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. And, and do you have any type of like, you know, talks with guys? Cause I feel like, you know, I've had a lot of talks with guys that are from St. Louis that, you know, trying to just cling on to this hope, right, of, of making it to the NHL level or hoping to get that call back up to the AHL. Would you say, like, fuck, the, get your ass over to Europe because you can build yourself an incredible career over there? Yeah, and that's the hardest part, you know. And I got guys I train who are, who are in that situation now or were or will be, and they're kind of, you know, when is the time? And I'm like, I, I, no one can tell you that. Like, it's not hard. It's not easy giving up the dream because odds are if you're going over there, you're not coming back. Uh, for the most part, not everyone, but the vast majority. So once you decide to go over there, you know, it's – and then what you don't know until you get over there the first year is like, oh, I should have done more homework. Like, I started in the Italian league because I got an agent who was just, you know, one of the – and he's a good guy, but he's one of those guys who just – 
tries to sign as many guys as possible and to get his nut. And, you know, that's his business model. And so I listened to him coming out of three AHL seasons or two and a half AHL seasons. Uh, and with, with decent numbers for my type of player, there's no reason I should put in Alsvenskin, Austria, maybe DEL, you know, like there's no reason one of those three leagues I shouldn't have went to. And I started in Italy because I'm an idiot and I just didn't know what I didn't know. Didn't ask around, you know, was embarrassed to ask people for help, ask for advice and, and started in the league where I, I shouldn't, uh, looking back and, and I had to grind my way up. So like, you definitely got to do your homework before going over there, but you play less games. Your travel is way easier. You get two national team breaks a year. Your money is tax-free. They pay your agent. They pay for your apartment. They give you a car. You know, there's, there's a lot of perks to it, and you can have a great life. And, like, by the end of my career, when I started my, my training company, I was getting paid, you know, the team pays your taxes. And then in all that money, and whatever it is in whatever league, and then you can come home, and you can work for, like, five months if you want to or four months, or you start a company like I did and just work whenever you, you could do off ice training or you can do lessons and you can, you can make 20, 30 grand in this easily, you know, and then go in, in the summer the season and play hockey and you could do that for 10 years. Yeah. So like, you're right. Like guys should look at that option, but it's, it's, a, you know, it's hard to be like, ah, I'm going to give it up. I'm going over. No, I know. I think for myself, I was fortunate almost, I guess you could say, that my first year over was the year of the, you know, the, the portion of the, the lockout back in 2012-13. The, that was the summer I was there in St. Louis. Buddy, I was fucking second Italian league to start. And I was just like, how did I go from an NHL contract to the second Italian league? I had so many moments where I would be like sitting on the ice after practice, looking around thinking, where in the fuck did I go wrong? Like, what in the hell happened? I'm in the second Italian league. I didn't even know there was a first Italian league, you know, like, yeah, but how did you, but you battled to the Liga. Like, how did you do that? Man, I just, that was, that was for me, that was the starts, the, the real start of my like mental journey. Um, because fuck like, yeah, NHL contract to the second Italian league. I had, I think I know which agent you're talking about. Um, we won't name him, but, uh, yeah, I was there and, you know, I was fortunate enough to win a championship there, you know, and then I actually, then I came back to America, played in the coast, got called up and then back to the Italian, the first Italian league. And so I'm just like, fuck, can I not get to Austria? You know, just like you were saying, second German league, Alsvenskan. And then, right. uh, you know, just wound up having an incredible season that year and had a team from Finland come out and watch me play. And that night I had four points and it was, that was it, you know, and then fuck yeah, it, it, the mental stuff, right? That's, that's the, that's the game changer here. You know, the physical skills are incredible, but if you don't have the mental skills, your physical skills are almost irrelevant for, for a lot of people, not for everybody, right? The, the Connor McDavid's of the world, you know, um, his skills are so goddamn high. I don't think he, he, I don't know what he does. Right. But, um, but anyhow, um, where, so for anybody out there that's uh, wanting to find you, where can, where can they find you in terms of social media? My, my Twitter and Instagram is just my name, at Jeff Lovecchio, L-O-B-E-C-C-H-I-O. Um, I usually just tell people to go to Instagram because I found that, like, mostly people are looking at Instagram unless they're, like, coaches or older people. <laughs> most most, of, most of everyone, the older people, the older crowd is on Twitter, and then uh, most everybody else is on Instagram. But all these kids now are telling me TikTok, and I'm like, look. I got Instagram a couple, two years ago when I retired. Like, that's been enough. Like, I don't need another one, Okay. Absolutely. All righty, my man. Well, I think that can be it. 
Um, and then again, just want to thank you so much, buddy, for taking the time out of your day. I know you're a busy man, and uh, I look forward to fuck maybe doing another one of these. Who knows in the future? But so grateful for you, and grateful for everything you're doing. Thanks, bro. You too, man. It's powerful stuff. It's very, very cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Take care. Happy to be here. My name is Vince Delato, aka everyone calls me Vinny Sauce. And uh, yeah, so um, right now I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, my biggest company that I own is the Original Hockey Sauce Kit. Uh, it's the first ever hockey yard game. So just, just imagine beanbags or horseshoes, but a hockey version. Uh, and it's really transformed into more than just a yard game. It's trick shots and training. Um, so that's what I do in the day, um, you know, for my job. And um, I'm also a single dad. I have two, uh, two boys. And, um, yeah, I started my journey um, into consciousness. And it kind of really started – when I lived out West Coast in Arizona, um, it was about seven years ago, I got into yoga. I was really getting into, you know, overstressed, working a corporate job, a startup. Um, and I was just, yeah, really overstressed, chronic pain. And I kind of found my avenue through yoga. And then it um, blossomed in uh, many different avenues that way. So I I'm, I'm live here in Chicago now. I'm back uh, where I'm from. And uh, so, yeah, that's been, uh, I'm, I've, I definitely have kind of like cultivated this story of I'm, I'm, I've been on the warrior's journey and I'm now I'm kind of coming back to bring the medicine back, uh, back home. So and teaching me a lot, you know, I'm around my parents, my kids, my grandpas, you know, and I'm really starting to, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's been great medicine. Nice, Matty. Well, uh, first and foremost, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day. Obviously you're an entrepreneur. I know you got a lot of stuff going on, you know, gratefully, and thankfully through this, uh, quarantine situation, I'm able to, to grab a hold of you here for the next hour or whatever it's going to be. But in saying that, so, so you said, you know, seven years ago, you kind of went down this path. You were living in Arizona, hopped into yoga, which led you down the path of consciousness, mindfulness, whatever you want to call it, spirituality. Um, and then came back home. So seven, here you are now, seven years later, interacting with your kids, interacting with your family members. Have they maybe said anything to you in terms of the transformation that I've obviously you've gone through in the, those last seven years? And you're probably a completely different person than you were, you know, seven years ago when you first left. So what has that kind of been like in terms of reconnecting with your family? Yeah, definitely. Without a doubt, you know, like when I first, you know, when you first come back and you get on this path, you're just so excited to talk about it. And you're just like, you know, like you, so you start spreading it, you start talking to your parents, your family, friends, you know, childhood friends, all that. You're, you're just so excited to talk about it. And I think that initial wave, then everyone's kind of like, well, a little, you know, a little skeptical. Like if yeah. I, I was probably, was probably pushing it on them a little more, but just cause I feel like I had awakened so much and I wanted to share. Um, right. I think that's been pretty, I've, after talking to a lot of people, that kind of happens a lot. And then um, kind of from there, then I, it just kind of just led by example, you know, I've always kind of been like a natural born leader, oldest brother. Um, so I just kind of like, all right, I'm just going to put my nose to the ground ground. And like, you know, whether it was in being an entrepreneur, physically fit or, you know, spiritually fit, getting all of these things. I just like really just got so laser focused, like almost to the point of um, too far where I just shut everyone out for a while, you know, years. And I was just like, so laser focused. Um, but then after that, then I kind of came out of that. And then it was, I started to really see, once I started living it and people started seeing that glow or that difference I would act, you know, I just started just getting down different avenues and just, you know, quit drinking for two years. Just a lot of different things where people were just like, whoa, what's going on? But he's looking happier than he's ever been. And he's, you know, accomplishing these things in the, you know, the out, you know, the super, you know, in the material world. 
Yep. Um, so I was, then people started coming to me, you know, it started, and they started coming to me, whether it was my dad or my mom has kind of been always been my source of like, I think kind of like went on this. She's spiritual and she always kind of, I think she cultivated a lot of this in me, even though I didn't awaken up to it. So yeah. it's been cool to share with her. Really cool to, you know, share that with her. And then also, yeah, even the, with the, you know, my dad as well, you know, it, it was, we kind of were triggering each other for a while, but then we've now worked through that and the relationship's better than ever. So, um, so it's been, it's been an awesome journey and same with having, you know, having kids. I think that, that in itself is, uh, been a spiritual awakening. Yeah. I mean, just with all, oh, like that's probably the biggest, you know, yeah, I'd have to say the kids. Yeah, yeah, for so. sure. It's, 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 <laughs> you know, obviously I, I, I'm a father myself, two kids and you know, it's, it's very interesting to think about kids and how, you know, they, they just operate uh, life through the lens of love. You know, they, they do what they mm. want. They say what they want. They love everybody. They love unconditionally. You know, it's not until they get older in life and, you know, they kind of go through some adversity or some trauma, which kind of steers them off this kind of, you know, yeah. spiritual path that I think we're all naturally born with. And then it's life that kind of knocks us out of that path. Right. Um, so it's great. It sounds uh, like you've got a beautiful relationship with obviously with your kids. And then you, like you said, with your mom and now your dad. It's um, it's a fascinating thing. Have you had any friends or anything that maybe you were sharing with, and they're like, "Oh shit, maybe I want to hop on this train because this guy's fucking crushing life and he's happy and he's flowing." Um, has there been any yes. interactions like that? Definitely. And one of my um, one of the closest people to me is like my brother to me is my cousin. We're the same, you know, with a year of age, and uh, it was something we really you know grew together. He lives in California, but we would I would go visit him a lot. He would come home. And we definitely, that was something, my, my first person that we really shared it on. Yeah. Um, beside, beside the, besides the friend that I met in Arizona who kind of, um, you know, you know, I, would, I was working corporate, I would move to different cities all the time and I would always just bring my hockey bag, join a beer league and, you know, you, you make, you make friends that way. Right. And this one kid, Alex, he really helped me lead on that path. Um, so I appreciate Alex getting me in hot yoga, Alex Dunning. Um, okay. And, um, but then, yeah, my cousin and then, yeah. And as it's evolved more friends, but then you also, I've, you know, it's great to connect with new people as well and, um, different types of relationships, you know, especially, you know, as being an athlete, we, you know, like you have lots of friends, lots of relationships, but not always the thing where you talk about this stuff in a locker room and stuff like that. So it's been, been cool to, uh, yeah, make new friendships and stuff like that. Awesome. That's awesome, buddy. Well, one thing I wanted to get into is uh, before we had hopped on here and started recording, you had mentioned that you went on this year long, like mastermind thing with, with Aubrey Marcus for anybody out there that doesn't know yep. Marcus, certainly check him out. Uh, you know, on uh, essentially I would imagine all forms of social media. He's got his own podcast, got another one that just came out called uh, inspire or something like that. But uh, would you kind of, you know, kind of touch on that? What was that? you know, experience like it. I would imagine you went to some retreats. Maybe you even got to met Aubrey. Um, maybe you could speak on kind of what he was like to in person. Um, I think that would be yeah. great for our, the listeners to hear about. Definitely. Yeah, Aubrey, when I had been, I had found his podcast, you know, through Joe Rogan, and I just really connected with it. I just thought it was the way how vulnerable he is, authentic he is. And I was just like, I just had never really seen that. Um, like from uh Someone I guess you look up to, he was, you know, physically fit, entrepreneur, all these things that, but he was, you know, he was just, he was going about things a lot of different way and really speaking from the heart. And I was just connected with it um, really, you know, really hard. And uh, so then the opportunity came when he was doing this mastermind 
And I was just like, yeah, it was a calling. You know, it was just one of the things I was like, okay, let's just go for it. Let's do it. And it was a year-long mastermind program where we did four different retreats. So every quarter we'd do a retreat. And um, they were all focused on different things. And we'd read books and we'd connect digitally within this group of 126 um, people there in this mastermind. And it was, it was a unique group. It was, uh, you know, at, there was professional athletes, there was doctors, there's practitioners, there was, you know, a very unique group from all around the world too. Um, so I went in there not knowing anybody and, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was life changing and, you know, it started off at the first retreat in Austin on it. And, okay. uh, we really got to, that was one of that was awesome. Cause we got to see what Aubrey built too. You know, he's got a gym, he's got companies, he's got all this stuff. We got to see that. Um, and that was really, yeah, that was something I always, you know, really looked up to. And then as it got, it got even better as it went on, you know, from Tulum, Mexico, um, to LA, to Sedona, um, wow. which, you know, all just magical places. And he would bring in these facilitators and different people for each one that were just like the best I've ever, you know, I've ever experienced. Yeah. And, and I think that's the last one that I saw. That's how I even like knew about this is, you know, after having our interactions on Instagram, obviously I started following you. And then I think I saw bits and pieces of your experience there in Sedona. So what kind of stuff would you guys be doing? I would obviously imagine some yoga, some meditation, maybe some some type of breathing work. So yeah, what can we took away from these retreats? Yeah, exactly. We all those things. Um, he's got a good team um, of people that he brings in. So it would be yeah, journaling. It'd be like I said meditation. We'd go. You'd have options to choose what you'd want to do. So you'd want to go do a cold immersion and uh, breath work with Kyle Kingsbury, who's an MMA fighter and just yep. absolute beast. Yeah. Um, or you could go do a workshop with, um, you said yoga, or it could be essential oils, or it could be, um, you know, one of the, my favorite ones was in Tulum, Mexico. We did a temascal, a sweat lodge with a shaman. Oh, um, wow. So it, the, no plant medicines or anything like that. It was just like sweat lodge, you know, like hot colds in this thing. It's like sauna to the max for, you know, wow. an hour long. Um, and then we did, then we went and did like a, a mud bath ceremony afterwards on the beach. Oh, wow. Um, so that was Tulum. That was epic. Um, Sedona. We also he brought in um, one of our, like this really unique musician called Perungai, and he plays all this like really dope music, uh, you know, horn. So he did, he put on a show for us there. Um, he would also bring in doctors like Conover Wellness, talk about you know whether it was stem cells to whatever, really whatever people would open up their questions to. Um, and then even God, one of my other favorite ones that really sticks out was, um, this guy in Q he's a poet. Okay. And uh, again, like I never, you know, never really even wrote poetry until that day, but huh. this guy came out there and just like, it was like rap. It was like the dopest poetry I've ever seen in my life. Like it was like chill. Like this guy just was epic. It was electric. And like so many things unfolded that just like made this, it was just insane. So like, even after that day, I'm like, started writing poetry. I just, cause like, I was like, that was so dope. And like, so you, things like that, you just get inspired by these people and inspired by people within the group because it was, everyone was just so vulnerable and so raw and just like sharing what they're, and everyone was on the path. So you was like, we all were just like, I'm lifting up all each other. So it was, uh, it was like something I'd never experienced to be honest. Okay. Awesome. And was it all men? 
So it was majority men in the beginning. I felt like when at first, you know, I probably say 80% men, 20% women. Then it started to shift like, cause people could add on as they come along. It started to shift more and more girls started going to it. And like year two, I'm not in it this year, um, but I'm just going to go to summer treats. And it looks like, yeah, it looks like now it's probably more like 60, 40 ish. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. And what, and what would you say like, you know, in this modern age where, you know, I feel like women for the most part are kind of really leading the, leading the trend in terms of self-healing, self-love, all these different forms of self-care, right? And it's kind of, you know, frowned upon for a man to do it, you know, for a man to be so vulnerable, for a man to cry, for a man to meditate, for a man to, you know, I guess, try and let people know that, frick, I'm human. You know, yes, I've got muscles or I've got this big truck or I do this and I do that, but in the end, I'm still a human and I deal with things. So how was it for you going to these things and, and hearing other men share their vulnerabilities with you? And maybe that inspired you to just open up even more. Um, yeah. Can you talk on that? Yeah. 100%. You know, like I come from, you know, like more of the old school, you know, like this sports driven kind of like, you know, don't show your emotions, push through it, you know, like, and it served me well in a lot of areas, but then I felt like, yes, I think, um, it was, yeah, it was something I was not used to. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I was definitely not used to. And it was, but then I was inspired by other people being so vulnerable, sharing again, Arby was such someone that, you know, showed me that path a lot. He was, you know, extremely vulnerable in so many different areas. So I was inspired for that. So it was something I was like, yeah, it wasn't comfortable in the first, but then as you, as you go on and like, I remember the first time we sat all down, we had like a men's circle, you know, and this one guy kind of led the men's circle and that in itself was just something totally different than what I was used to. Like you said, sharing your vulnerabilities and it was coming from a time when I was going through a really tough time as well. Um, relationship issues with my kid's mom. And I just, and I wasn't telling anyone either. Cause it was just, it was, it was just a lot of stuff going on. I just didn't really have, I just had a lot of things going good for me. And it was like the one thing that wasn't. So I didn't want to really like, talk about it that much yeah. so I just kind of kept it in and and um that was um so yeah that that was very helpful and seeing that and these guys and a lot of these people like were very experienced in this like you know like a lot of the guys that were there were experienced some weren't but there was a good chunk of them that were experienced in like doing this so it was just like whoa like it was it was shocking to see and but yeah. in all the good ways Okay, very nice. Uh, real quick before I hop into like the next question I wanted to ask, what would you say is your like number one, your go to in terms of taking care of yourself? Hmm. Go to. I mean, I definitely feel I definitely have to be physically active, like, you know, on the daily. I just think I have a lot of energy, I have a lot of built up. You know, I've always been someone who's been active, doing tons of sports, playing all the time. So that is something, but I'm the type of person that kind of go takes it overboard. So that's, you know, it's like I need, I, now it's just balancing it out with, you know, the rest and recovery as well and the downtime, the meditation, stuff like that. But I, but I do think if one, I just, when I am stagnant and I'm not moving, I just don't feel myself, I'm not flowing. So I definitely would say some type of physical activity. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, okay. So that'll lead me into my next question. Um, you know, through this whole, coronavirus situation i know for myself I'm, I'm speaking from experience here i've had a lot of things come up uh triggers come up that i didn't know were going to come up of course and then secondly my ego told me they weren't there my ego told me i fully healed you know i, I experienced sexual abuse as a child and depression and ptsd in my teenage years and i thought i dealt with all that you know i went through two three yeah. years of, of therapy of speaking with someone 
And I thought, you know, I can look back on the sexual abuse and not be triggered, not have these emotions come up, you know, but through this situation, things have been coming up. I think there's been a major energy shift in the world. And one of the books that I just recently started uh, reading was by uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, uh, the becoming natural. Actually, I think you are actually the one that's yes. like, I don't know, three, four or five months ago, you posted his podcast with Aubrey Marcus actually. And then yes. I listened to it yeah. and man, like there's three, nice. things. there's three things. I believe that podcast, I believe uh, the heel documentary on Netflix. And then I believe the untethered soul um, at that time were three books that every are, are three different forms, one reading, one listening, um, and one, uh, what's the other one? Or I guess one watching, there you go, are all three things that all humans should be intaking, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, that, that podcast like changed my, like, I guess you would say perspective on what's really real in this world, the energy, you know? And so- yes. Again, for myself, I'm reading this book and I'm also experiencing this energy shift within myself. And it's just been like blowing my mind. I feel like in the last four, five, six days, I have gone through so much transformation, so much growth in such a short amount of time. Nice. Um, and I believe this to be something that you're also obviously on the path with in terms of energy. Um, so yep. my question to you is, have you had anything maybe come up that you didn't think was there any longer through this quarantine uh, stage that the whole world is, is in? Yeah, definitely. Without a doubt. You know, it's, it's, um, I definitely had to, you know, I'm, I'm definitely someone who's like on the go all the time. Travel, I'm always like big. So this was like, you had to stay. So I definitely triggered, um, you know, in that moment that like, I definitely felt like, I man, I, I may be running from thing more things than I think, you know, as much as I think I'm standing up to them, which I, you know, I do, I think I do have the case of, yeah, running a little bit, you know, so that kind of brought up in some areas of, that and then also that right now since i'm single and i'm in you know i'm just like really as much as i'm like oh i've kind of been like pushing away the feminine feminine energy for a while like i'm like i'm like kind of like man i don't want to even mess with that i got enough going on you know like kind of like and just really seeing that like wow that is something you're lacking but you also you want that you want that feminine you want that polarity energy i want to have that and i kind of like been shutting it off just because I've been going through a separation, all these things. And I didn't want to like put myself in any bad positions. So that is definitely something I think that sparked the most of that. That's what, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think that's kind of what's been coming up for me is the understanding that in order for us to heal from our past and our traumas, we have to, as men, that is, we have to be willing to tap into that feminine energy. Um, and I think yep. we all naturally have it. It's just been suppressed for so many years. And the only thing that sticks out now is that masculine energy, which gives the men the, yep. the strength to, again, puff their chest out. Again, you know, we'll, we'll just drink and we'll work out instead of talking about our feelings and our, our thoughts and emotions. You know, we'll just suppress it with working out or drinking with the boys or lighting up a joint, whatever the case is, you know, kind of to be cool, you know, but you know, yep. on the path that we're both on, I think it's pretty fucking cool to, to share what we're really going through, you know? Um, Definitely. And I think that's something I um, kind of would, and I've kind of like come on that path is that even, I, so I was dealing with chronic pain. I was dealing with, the, you know, this, you know, this relationship that was really, you know, bringing a lot of damper and a lot of toxicity to my life. And I, I had to go there. I had to be my own feminine energy. So I had to, that's really, you know, got me into taking nature walks every day and doing all these things. 
because I had to, not only was I hurting inside, but I was hurting, I was having physical chronic pain. And really what that pain was, was just manifesting tension in my emotions. You know, it was my emotions that were creating this pain. It wasn't anything physical, even though I was, you know, at first imagining that and you could even, you know, and so I was, so then once I started like really tapping into that, you know, that feminine energy, it was, yeah, it was different, but it was like something I needed and I needed to go there for a while. It was like said, I actually, speaking of books on Tethered Soul, I discovered because of you. Thank yeah. you. I mean, that book changed my, you know, like there's, like said, there's like five books that have just changed my life in the last two years. And it's again, learning to tap into that feminine energy. You know, like it was, it was, and I almost then I could, and where I was going with this is that I almost think I went even, uh, the pendulum swang too far that way almost. Okay. So for so much of my life, it was pure, you know, it was so much masculine, you know, it was, it was just how I was raised, you know, it's how yeah. my dad is, how everyone, it was just how it, sports and, you know, you know, women and whatever you could do, you know, all that stuff was, it was just, it was that pendulum there. Then it swang really far the other way to where, and I was, it went to the point where like I also was overworking myself. So my adrenals had been taxed. I had like, I had gotten hormone tested. Everything was just like shot. I had work in myself and then also having a bad relationship with my you know, kid's mom. It was just like, it was so much. Yeah. Um, so then now over the last year, I've really felt that balance come into place. So that masculine, you know, came back and everything, you know, all this thing started. So now it's like, balancing and tapping into both has been like you know an awesome experience the last year and i've you know never felt happier because i'm able to actually feel those things and let myself feel them and also at the same time if you know you get overwhelmed by them just know that it's just a thought and you could pass over um so it's it, yeah so I, that's been like my journey of like yeah stream masculine going too far almost to where it was you know i have a pendulum but that's kind of how i've learned how it works the pendulum needs to swing and now it's that pendulum's like meeting me back in the middle and it's just beautiful. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I remember back about two, two and a half, three years ago when I first started down the spiritual path, it, it started uh, after my ex had decided she didn't want to be with me any longer. And The Untethered Soul was the first book that I picked up, picked up nice. after our separation. So it was about 10 days after. Um, and I remember getting, I was in Finland at the time. I remember getting home that next summer. Um, and going to one side of the pendulum, like you speak about, but my, the side I went to first was the high energy. I was just, mm -hmm. fucking, I was flowing, man. The highest energy. Yes. Where it's like, I didn't ever have to take naps. I was just like in the gym, crushing it two, three hours in the gym. And I'd go yep. on my nature walks and I'd be calling buddies, man, I love my life. This is unbelievable. And then now, like you say, in terms of the feminine energy, which I also enjoy, uh, experiencing, it swings you right back. And it's like both, mm -hmm. both, both um, to me, are signs of extreme growth that, you know what, yep. you just started on this spiritual path. I'm going to give you a bit of the juice. Here's some of the juice to mm -hmm. let you know what this is all about, right? And then I'm going to swing it back to the other side, the feminine side, and let you know this too is also what it's about. You're going to cry. You're going to feel. And then when that kind of wears off after a month, five months, six months, everybody's going to be different. Then I'll bring you back to center and you can still enjoy everything. But we're chilling a little bit now. Yes. You know? um, yes, yes. <laughs> and the pendulum might swing again. But it's, uh, you know. <laughs> well, exactly. And I think kind of that's where I'm at now. I feel like my pendulum is swinging back towards the feminine now. Um, yeah. You know, I think about, you know, we're both divorced. Uh, I don't know if you were, were you married? No. Okay. So anyhow, we're, we're, I was, I, either how, we're both separated from our children's mothers. Yes. Right? Both have two kids. Yeah. Um, 
And I'm finding out that there's a lot of things that I need to heal from in terms of my, my prior relationship. So I had my sexual abuse that I dealt with. And through that, it, it created some intimacy issues for myself, some sexual issues. Yep. Um, and in my last relationship, it was kind of a joke. It was laughed about, which just, just created more layers on top of the root issue here, right? So yeah. one I wanted to make sure I spoke about on this episode with you in particular was kind of some of the insights I've been having in terms of the subconscious mind, in terms of the, the abuse that I went through, the joke that it was in terms of my, my marriage, and then where I'm at now in my current relationship with my girlfriend. Um, and she is just mm -hmm. and she's in, in the same headspace as, as we are. And she's understanding of the subconscious mind, the conscious mind and how powerful the, the ego is. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think unfortunately, maybe not unfortunately, but I think through all the content that I put out there on Instagram, people think that maybe I don't drink and that I don't uh, use marijuana every now and then. I, I'm done with chewing tobacco. I'm done using uh, alcohol and marijuana as a form of suppression, as a form of coping. Mm -hmm. um, I no longer need those things to fill any voids within me, but I still do enjoy those things every now and then. So it was just um, a few days ago, I had, I had actually smoked a little bit. And when you smoke, for me at least, it brings me into the present moment. There's that term, you know, mm -hmm. people are, I'm freaking out. Well, when you smoke, you freak in. When you drink, you freak out. You become more external. You yep. start doing things physically. But when you smoke, I get freaked in and I gain such an insane level of awareness. And again, this is something I want to talk to you about. I was having this thought. <laughs> It was like a, thought, a single thought was just coming in my mind. I could kind of feel it building in the back of my head. It started coming up to the front of my forehead and then it's like, it literally just dropped down into my mouth. So it was, the thought was formulating. And the next thing you know, instead of having another thought, I was just speaking it. So there was like no uh, filter. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. And to just be so aware of that moment, I was just like blown away. Um, yeah. You know, have you ever had anything like that where you're just so, oh, weird, yeah. you know, definitely. No, I'm a big fan. Like I said, I smoke, you know, marijuana, huge fan. Um, yeah. you know, always have been, I mean, there's been periods in my life where I stopped and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, didn't smoke. And I think there's always good times to take breaks. And right. that's what I recently did with alcohol. You know, I quit drinking for alcohol and then I came back and I had such a healthier relationship, but yes, for, Marijuana creative wise, oh, I mean, I love it creative. Like even doing inner work, like you said, working in. It's been yeah. it's been such a great tool for me in so many different ways. I mean, even even looking back at a young age, you know, like you know, I was I had a lot of anger issues. You know, I just like, you know, I had anger. I was angry, I'd fight a lot, I would just get in trouble, I get kicked out of school, you know, all these different things. But um, so I kind of used it in a crutch when I was younger to like calm me down and all these things. But in a way, I think it still helps, you know, a lot of things. I think it still helped me. Um, and then like saying now, yeah, now it's just, now it's amazing. Obviously it's legal now. All that paranoia is gone. You can find your strains that you right. that work, at, you know, that you can tool to what you're trying to accomplish, whether that's rest or, you know, a sativa that's going to get you dialed in or, you know, like, so I think it's an amazing tool. It's, I mean, I, like anyone that knows me, like I just work all day long and I love working. Like, so like and that like whole stigma of like, it'll make you lazy. It's like the opposite for me. Yeah. I think like when I smoke, I'm like, I'm ready to take on whatever task that is. Um, so, and like, yeah, use it to my advantage what it is. So it's, yeah, I'm a big fan. So like, I've yeah. loved, I have a lot of those experiences like that. And 
you know, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's just great that seeing how the legal and everything, it's awesome. Well, absolutely. And again, for anybody out there that has never experienced with marijuana, I think there is that, that, uh, you know, that stigma around it, that it's a drug. I don't view it as a drug, but it's bad for you. And all no. these, but you see all the medicinal, everybody knows alcohol is 10, a million times worse for you than, than marijuana is. Marijuana has so many different medicinal, um, you know, characteristics to it. But yeah, there is two different strains, or I guess you would say three different strains. There's the sativa, which is a, a high. It's going to lift you up, make mm-hmm. you a little wiggly, maybe euphoric. Uh, make you want to do something. It's going to give you a little bit of energy, an energy boost. And then there's the the indica, which is going to calm you down. It's going to make you like a couch potato, uh, numb your body probably if you've got any pain as well. And then there's yeah. which is the hybrid, where it's uh, a little bit of both, right? Um, but I'm kind of the same way, you know. If I'm doing it, I'm sticking with the sativa. I'm high energy already. I don't want anything that's going to bring me down. I love uh, doing adventures. I love going out into nature. And if you mm-hmm. can, you know, having a little bit of marijuana in you, man, you'll see those trees a little bit differently. You'll see that water a Definitely. little bit differently. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> it's incredible experience. You connect. Yeah. Connecting with nature is like, one of the best things, you know, like it's truly just fe- feels like it puts you on that frequency, you know, just like us humans and, you know, plants have, you know, they're conscious as well. So I feel like you do get onto that, you know, higher frequency, and yeah, it's amazing. And I think also I want to touch on is that the one thing I'm always big on too, is that it's just like how I eat very clean and healthy, organic and everything clean. I, I think you really have to be careful in that you're doing that same thing with where you're getting your product from, okay. you know, so let's test it organic. You know, I'm a person that like, I only like sun grown, organic soil grown, you know, product. Okay. Um, living on the West Coast, you kind of get spoiled and having people and friends that are in the business and, you know, being in the business myself uh, prior. I, yeah, I'm just very, I think same thing as food. You know, it's like what you give your food is what you eat. You know, what your food eats is, you know, that's what it is. And same with this. So that's why it's great to be in, the, you know, buying from the stores that are tested. And if you can get the greenhouse or sun grown, I'm a big fan of that too. Um, I just think it offers a lot more, you know, array of cannabinoids, but also just a, a better, you, I'm almost at the point now where I can feel almost the spirits in the product, you know, like it might look all good and all these things like that and same with food, but like you consume it, you take it and you just, the energy that that plant had, I think it goes a long way. And so organic all the way. All the way, baby. That's right. And it's interesting. <laughs> you said to use it as, as a way to kind of, you know, tap into yourself, bring it into the present moment. And I, I'm finding with myself, once I started reading that book, Becoming Supernatural by Dr. Joe Dispenza, I'm starting to learn about yep. all this energy, the quantum physics, the subconscious mind, the co- conscious mind. And the other day, um, I just wanted to, you know, smoke and then literally sit down or lay down in a meditative, meditative state and just kind of uh, mm-hmm. be present with the difference that my body was going to start feeling, my mind was going to start feeling. Um, and so I had an experience happen where um, I was triggered. I was triggered by something. I don't remember exactly, but it's like I could feel the energy passing through the different chakras, the different uh, energy centers in our bodies. And it's like I could yep. feel the subconscious. I could feel the conscious coming together. And then it got stuck. The conscious mind stayed stuck. Mm. The subconscious came through. And it came through like mm. a fucking tornado. And there was nothing I could do <laughs> yeah. in that moment. Um, and that was the moment I realized, holy shit, like that stuff that I need to heal from, and it's all in terms mm-hmm. of my sexual abuse, that stuff is deeply rooted and it's very powerful. And in that moment, I wasn't able to detach and, and look at it from a different perspective and realize where it was yep. coming from. 
you know? Um, so that was, that was another thing. That That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And again, <laughs> oh man, that was it. There was one other one I wanted to talk to you about. And so, yes, yes. Yeah. So I was in that, that same day, the same, same experience had just smoked, lay down. I had Marley playing on my, my, my speaker, mm. my Bluetooth speaker. And I was sitting there singing, subconsciously singing word for word. And then in my mind thinking about the fact that I don't need to sit here and think about singing. I can think about whatever I want up here, but my, my mouth is still going to move, you know? So, and I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so what I'm saying is we can go and drive a hundred miles and be not present and then not remember oh, yes. that we just drove for five hours because we're so lost in the yeah. mind. We can't really multitask, so to speak. So I was kind of multitasking. I was thinking about the fact that I don't need to think about singing yet. I'm singing it word for word. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it was, and it, yeah. Wow. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's it was, fun though. I mean, that's the cool, like you said, it brings you into your body. You know, like yeah. I think so much of the day and same with me. And again, this is like a masculine trait of, you know, we're living in our heads, like what we're going to do, knock, knock, knock things out that I get. Yeah, that's one of the, again, that I think when you're able to, you know, use marijuana, you smoke and you get more into your body, you know, and you can get out of your mind, just be more, like you said, in the present moment. But I do like how you said, like the body, like, so even like before doing yoga or taking a walk or doing something like that, I think it does helps you get out of just the rat race, your head, just like yeah. all that, and just let it settle in, you know? So it's like, it can be used so mindfully. And so this is a great tool. Um, and yeah, of course, someone could just use it and not do anything, and be, but I feel like they're going to be lazy and not do anything anyways, you know, like, so it's like, you're not going to blame it on that. You know, that those days are over that stigmas and stuff. So, yeah. For sure. And I don't know if you, uh, I'm assuming you have Netflix. Um, have you, have you yep. seen the, the goop lab on there with Gwyneth Paltrow? No. Okay. You might, you're going to, you're going to want to check this out for sure. So Gwyneth Paltrow started her own business in Santa Monica, California called the goop lab or something along those lines. And what it is, is it's a group of people that want to get the most out of life, but they want to try all these new modern trends and come up with their own, you know, decision on, on how they view it. So the second episode yeah. is then going with Wim Hof up to Lake Tahoe, nice. California, and going through a, a weekend with Wim Hof, doing all the cold water immersion, yep. you know, the breathing technique he has. Um, they have one guy that comes in and works uh, uh, energetically and is able to get the uh, Julianne Hough, if you know who that is, the dancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has her yeah. On, she has her own, like, studio or something like that in California and brings this guy in and then brings different like four or five people that work with Gwyneth Paltrow so they can experience it. Um, mm -hmm. and this guy was working with the, uh, the energy field that surrounds our body. What, uh, Joe Dispenza calls the eighth chakra, the eighth chakra yes. center, it's not in the body. It's, you know, a foot yep. outside and it's hovering all around. Yes. Um, and so this guy, had these people's bodies moving all over the place. He had energy moving throughout their body. And what he was also doing was helping these people to heal. But one of the episodes uh, talked about shrooms. I don't know if you've ever experienced shrooms. I myself have not. The only drug I've ever done has been marijuana. But um, the group took just a micro dose of shrooms in Jamaica. Five or six of them flew out to Jamaica, met with this uh, couple that had their own little business. They did three grams 
of a microdose of shrooms and they filtered it or no, they steeped it in tea and then drank it mm -hmm. and then just went through extreme transformation, extreme healing. And through that, I was like, holy hell, I know there's stuff still within me. I know my ego is just telling me I'm free when I know I'm not. So I'd potentially yep. be interested in trying something like that. Have you ever experienced with that? Yes. Um, yeah, I definitely have. And I definitely think that's the future of, um, you know, therapy and stuff like that. He's got, you know, one of the favorite um, organizations, MAPS. They're the ones that's pushing this all through the FDA. Um, and it's getting fast-tracked. And there was people within that Aubrey Marcus uh, mastermind that are, like, on the forefront of this. You know, they're counselors. They're people that are in this. They're people that are doing this, you know, in a sense. And um, so it was – yeah, I think that's the future. I think every town, every, you know, every couple in every, you know, city or, you know, town, I should say, lots in the city, within the next five years, they're going to be everywhere. And it's going to yeah. be a guided assisted therapies where you, you sit down with, you know, and do a mushroom trip with, a, you know, with the two therapists that are trained in this. And you will work through so much that would probably take, you know, eight, 20 years worth of work because you can get to it and you're in a state. Um, so they're testing it. It's, you know, I know people that have done it, and they, you know, they're doing testing on the worst people. Like they're not the worst. The people that have the like, they're, they're having no reaction to any medications. The worst PTSD, and they're showing that, you know, after doing this one session, like they don't need it anymore. You know, like yeah. they don't need to take pills. The rest of this one session, they're already like it kicks that. They you know reconnects these new things in their neurons, in their brains. That they're, they're able to see things from a different perspective and heal. Not be fully healed, but be more on that path and see things differently. Well, so I, I think it's going to be huge. Absolutely. And I, and I think what people will come to find from anybody out there that is, uh, you know, attaches themselves so much to this external world and the pharmaceutical companies out there in America and around the world and kind of, you know, the chemicals that are being put in these products, the chemicals that are put in, yeah. you know, the drugs that people are taking that, you know, for people that do have PTSD, for people that, you know, suffer from bipolar, from depression, from anxiety, from any of these illnesses, um, low mental health. I think if people were to give this stuff an honest, um, you know, try marijuana or shrooms and, uh, is, it, mm -hmm. is there one other thing too, like MDMR or something like MDMA. that? MDMA. Yeah. yeah that's, and, and again, I think once you try something like this and you realize, you know, how instrumental this, you know, uh, a relatively, it's a plant, right? Mushroom. What would you consider a shroom? A, a vegetable then that we can. Fungi. Yeah. yeah fungi, there you yeah. go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you find these things that are natural that aren't going to cause yeah. harm to your body. They're not going to have a freaking thousand uh, freaking page list of side effects that you could potentially die from within the first 10 minutes of taking a pill. Oh no. You know, these things are again going to mm -hmm. help you. But if I think if people would give these things more of a, you know, an honest effort, or uh, even a try and attempt, they would come to find that they don't want, they don't need those pills because the pills yep. are just a band-aid. The pills aren't going to truly help you in the long term. They're going to help you in the short term. Term, but I don't think yes. they heal for one week or one mm -hmm. year. They want to be healed throughout the rest of their life, right? And that's you know these things. Yep. Try instead, you know. Yeah, it was cool. Like I said, that within that group of that mastermind, I really got to see where it's going. I'm, I almost think it's like it's happening. Like now I'm like, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Like yeah. that maps, the way they're fast tracking this through the FDA is like never seen before. Mm -hmm. So like they're, because the studies are just so, they're just, you, you can't even, you can't deny them. Yeah. You know, like drug studies, they're so skewed. 
I mean, the placebo works better than, you know, 99.9% of the actual drugs that get, a, get put to market. Placebo, right. just the power of thought, like Dr. Do, you know, Joe Dispenza. Yeah. So, but these, with these, you know, these plant medicines and these different, you know, or MDMAs on a plant medicine, but it's a, it's, it's a heart opener. You know, it's, it's, yeah. you're able to, that for a case, you're able to take that with guided therapy. You're able to like truly get to your heart and be able to express your heart to a point that where once you do that, you, your body knows and knows how to do it again. It's not maybe going to reach that point all the time, but it, it, it can like just clear out blockages. Yeah. And one thing that I wanted to touch on when you were, um, you were talking about energy work and I, I actually had a really wild experience with some energy work. Okay. Um, and it was, yeah, it was something I'd love to share. So it was, um, it, I had went to um, a chakra meditation with a buddy um, and it was at a yoga studio. And this guy was just like, I was just like, he's one of those guys you walked in, you're just like, holy shit, like this guy has it. You felt his energy, you could just feel it. And it was like, you know, just an amazing meditation. Just, you know, I was buzzing, absolutely buzzing. The light, I just felt it more than ever. Um, and even he even brought me up on, he was like, he you know, brought me up on stage. Like, who's your, where, where, whose birthday is the closest? I was like, my birthday is yesterday. So he brings me on and does like a chakra reading all this stuff and it was really insightful it was kind of talking about he could feel the, the chakras that were around my you know my adrenals my energy centers and even you know my sacral my solar plex were kind of shut down and he called it right away um but i so then i actually reached you know afterwards i talked to him i was like i'd really like to do a one-on-one -on -one. so the next day i came back i went met him at um he was staying at some lady's house and like you know i didn't know where i was going pull up this mansion and he, you know, I go downstairs, not knowing what to expect. And, you know, we talk a little bit. I tell him the path I'm on, you know, it's with that. He's like, okay, like, I think you're ready for this. And uh, so we sat there across from each other on a couch where he had like a crystal that was like the size of my head. And I just had my, my eyes closed and my legs, you know, um, sitting, you know, Indian style and just, just breathing just, you know, for like an hour or two. It felt like, I don't know, it went by quick. And he, every yeah. time I'd look, look up a little bit, he'd be like swirling um, this crystal, like mostly pointed at my third eye. Yeah. And I, you know, like I just was deep meditation two hours. I, when I, when I left there, you know, we kind of like had a quick close out. When I left there, I felt like I was seeing energies. Like I went and parked at a, you know, park uh, over at the park and I could just see water. I could see things moving. It was just wild. Wow. Um, and then out of nowhere, my dad calls and he's like, Hey, what's up? You know, is that where you at? I'm like, I'm up in St. Charles, you know, it's an hour from from. He's like, holy shit, I'm over here too. I was thinking about using that gift card you gave me at this, uh, it's like a salt cave and float tank place. I gave him a thing for uh, a yeah. gift card. Yeah. He's like, I think I'm going to go over there right now. I'm like, oh, I'm right over there. I'll meet you over there. And so I went over there and it was, this was during that period of like, you know, me and my dad were kind of button heads a lot. And it was, um, but I, I had this like sense of, I don't know, I just wanted to tell him like I loved him. You know, yeah. so like, I was like, I'll meet you. I'll come over there. And like, so we're talking, I'm like, Hey dad, you know, and I was like, I don't know how I even said it, but I was just like, you know, I just said like, I was like, dad, I just wanted to you know, I love you. And in that moment, I seen his face transform into like the young boy, you know, like a young boy. Cause he didn't have a dad. He didn't like, he had a rough childhood. His mom, all these, you know, mom's kind of, you know, abusive, you'd say, you know, like he just had a rough childhood. I seen his face transform into that little boy that just wanted to be told he loved, was loved. And like from that, then we hawed and from that day on, it was like, it was, that was like a really big turning point for us. Like it was, it was wild.
That's incredible, man. Had you not gotten your dad that gift card, that experience may have never happened. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, it's crazy how literally everything's connected, right? And and, uh, real quick to touch on kind of what you said there in terms of like parenting. And I think a lot of times the things that we don't get from our parents, and then this is kind of off topic here, but you mentioned it. I just kind of wanted to touch on it. The things that we don't get from our parents, whether it be love or, you know, security, um, confidence, any of these things, a lot of the times it's because our parents didn't receive that from their parents. So if you want to try and cultivate that relationship with them where you can start receiving that from them, I suggest you start giving it to your parents right? You said your dad didn't feel loved. You didn't grow up with a father. Well, all you did was simply just tell your dad you love him, which I'm sure you have many times in the past, but this time was a little bit different, right? He could probably sense energy, whether he was aware of it or not. But here you go. You gave your dad a little bit of love and that kind of broke him down a little bit. Now you guys are like best friends or something close to that, right? Or certainly a better place now than you were then, right? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like you said, like that's part of the thing that you know, for me, it was having kids. I don't think you have to have kids to have this, but you really start tracing the pattern back from your grandpas and your grandpas, and you start seeing why, like you said, who didn't receive this and why they're like this. And you start tracing it all back because you're thinking about, I'm thinking about how I'm, you know, I don't want to mess my kids up. I love them so much. I want to yeah. figure out, I want to heal these things out of me. I want to help my parents and their, and I just want to at least understand how this is all going to, you know, how this, and I see it all, you know, I could see it. I mean, you still discover new things every day, but, um, but yeah, it's been a trip. It's been a trip. Just that ancestral, it's just so much is passed down, but then we can, we can break them, you know, like there's so many, and there's, and that's why, again, I think in the beginning you start, when you're first comparing you're like, you start discovering this and you start getting almost angry. Like, Oh, why didn't I have this? And, you know, kind of like some resentment towards your parents a little bit. And then after working through that, then you realize that, you know, they broke a lot of cycles too, you know, and to make and gave you a better life. And then right. you're still, you can try to break as many cycles as you can, but you're not going to break them all. But that's just the evolution of how we're going to be able to do it. And that's, you try your best and then you can, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's been cool to see. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's great. That's great. Um, trying to think about uh, maybe where else we could take this. Um, I think I kind of, hammered on all the things I wanted to in terms of like uh sharing with you some of the insights asking the question okay that's what I wanted how how has this been because it's my belief that you know spirituality in in the modern world um is about still participating in this external world you participate in it right you have your own business I you know I'm an athlete I have my my own kind of business with, with the mental health stuff but I'm no longer a victim to this external world so that in my opinion is kind of what spirituality is in today's society is you know, still participating in it, but not being a victim to the needless suffering that takes place that so many people suffer through because they have outsourced essentially their whole entire life. So here we are now in this current coronavirus situation where our external world is a bench, has essentially been shut down. So, so many people are just left with themselves. Um, and I think through that is it's actually causing even more suffering for people. So how has it been for you? Yeah you know, being on the spiritual path, but also having your own business, being an entrepreneur, have those two worlds kind of collided at any point for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, um, I was so out of whack for a while, you know, like just so business driven, you know, even from a young age, you know, like from, you know, 12, 13, I was just always working, always like figuring out ways to make money. I just kind of like always 
was wanting to be an earner, you know, in a sense, you know, like I always just finding out ideas, whether it's making t-shirts, selling tickets, <coughs> anything. I was just always trying to find ways. So I was very lopsided in that. This spiritual path definitely balanced it out um, a lot more. And it's like you said, I also kind of, you know, in some ways I accomplished a lot of what I want to do in the external world. But then I just like kind of still felt that like, it's never going to be enough. Yeah. You know, like I want, I had these goals that I wanted to reach to and I'm glad I pushed myself to do it. I got to see how far I could push myself. Like I said, push myself to the point of adrenal failure and just like, just purely exhausted, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Cause right. I was like, I was able to accomplish a lot in this short time. And I was like, okay, I can see how far I pat, I can push it. I don't need to go that hard all the time. And now like I said, it doesn't, and it doesn't mean it doesn't like, it's not life or death if I don't succeed in any, well, like in these scenarios anymore. Um, obviously now I can support my family. So it kind of was life and death for a while. I needed right. to support my family and this, and that's what I needed to, but yeah, this, the spiritual path has been a great balance. It's been, it's, yeah, it's something that it's just now it's even this last year, this, you know, that fit for service, that mastermind was just, you know, I feel like I'm thankful for all the work. And a lot of people that we're talking about, just like, we're thankful of all that work we did for this last year because of times like this. I'm able to, yeah, it's like, it's, you no, know, I don't want to say it's like not that hard for me, but it's a lot easier for me to like handle things like this or anything that comes at me with having a spiritual practice and having practices ground myself. I'm yeah. very, like I said, a goal, a runner. You know, I, I'm always on the go. I want to move next. What's next? Next steps. You know, I want to fucking attack things. So grounding me in spiritual practice is just, yeah, it's been just medicine, you know? Yeah. For sure. And, and one last question before we get going here, what would you say if you could offer any type of advice for maybe any other business owners out there, any other entrepreneurs out there that's maybe come through some conflict in their business, maybe things don't happen the way they expected, the way they wanted to, maybe a deal falls through and they don't get that amount of money at the end of the month that they expected. What, could, what kind of type of advice in terms of spirituality would you maybe have for these owners that are, you know, have this situation happen, they become so resistant to it. And it only uh, mm -hmm. winds up being a domino effect of negativity to, for their, obviously their individual selves, but also for the business. I would imagine maybe you've had a similar experiences where you've been able to maybe detach from the end results. And that has helped you to continue to grow your business. Definitely. You know, it's, you know, being a business owner, entrepreneur, there's so many ups and downs. Like it's just, it's constant, a daily thing. It's, you know, it's nonstop. And I've had some things that were just absolutely devastating, you know, where it just like put me out for six months and stuff. So I've kind of like been through that all. Um, but I, one thing with me, I'm always like momentum, you know, I'm a big momentum guy and that yeah. momentum can go either which way. So, you know, again, having these practices, having these tools, you know, I kind of say, a lot of different tools are spiritual practices, grounding practices, physical practice, whatever you can to blunt that negativity and stop that and get the momentum flowing the other way. So, you know, and there's also been lots of times where things didn't work out where I wanted to. And then because of that, more opportunities came from it. So it's like, all right, that happened. I can't do what you can to control that things don't, don't happen to you and try to work that stuff. But the things that you can't control, all right, it's done. All right, let's move next. Let's double down on the next thing. Let's just push forward. Let's make that next phone call. Let's do that next. Let's get the momentum rolling. Cause right. that's, I've always, and I was always, you know, I was a big sales guy in corporate world. So I was, you know, I was, you know, it's a numbers game. And I would, that was one thing with me. I would, I would get hot, man. I would get so hot and I would absolutely crush it. And then I would have these months where I was just cold, you know, like you kind of wear, you wear it all your leads out. You're exhausted and I would get so down. And then I would be like, 
then it was just the quicker. Now it's like what I've learned through the spiritual practice, I'm able to bounce back from everything fast. Everything, whatever it is, whatever it is, personal life or anything, like everything I'm able to bounce back faster than letting it dwell and stuff like that. Because again, detaching it, you know, like detaching from it, you know, recognizing what maybe you weren't seeing things all clearly. Okay, now how can I learn from it? I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. I'm going to keep learning from it. So that's why I don't, I sometimes I do see people and I kind of seen this, some people in the, you know, that, that fit for service, Aubrey Marcus thing that some people would just go too far on the spiritual side. Like, Oh, it's just like, it wasn't my, meant for me. It wasn't my path. Like, okay. Like it's something else will just come to me. And they didn't like put in the fucking work. And yeah. that's where I'm more like, I'm more like, okay, let's like Gary V style. Like I'm going to hustle grind. Like how can you combine that? And that's something I'm still working on, you know, but like, I'm definitely from that like hustle grind, but then how can I also, yeah, like bring in that spirituality, balance it out and like, but it's still a chance, you know, I'm still working on that, finding the avenues and knowing which times in that, you know, which way to go for that. Yeah. Fuck man. I totally forgot that you had, you've met Gary V. He's fucking been in there where you're at. Right. Or maybe you went to his office and you guys hucked a little sauce to one another. Right. So that I actually, I wish I was there for that. I wasn't there for that, but it was, um, it was actually right after that first, um, First, for Aubrey Marcus, the first um, thing we went to was in Austin, Texas, and we got to see his headquarters and all that stuff. So, of course, you know me, I'm, I'm rolling up the sauce kits and the twigs first day. What's the, how you doing, you know? And uh, so, yeah, so I got, you know, I vibed with them, and I, you know, it actually, um, I think it was, it was funny. When I first set up the sauce kit, and I hadn't really met Aubrey yet first face, but then his assistant was like, yo, you got the sauce kit here, bro? That's dope. And Aubrey's like, what? Wait, I was like, what? And I knew, you know, Aubrey had worked with, you know, he works with Jonathan Tays and Duncan Keith and a bunch of NHLers. So I was already like, yeah, I want to get this guy playing, you know. So then I tell him, he's like, yeah. So I challenged him to a game. And, uh, you know, so I, me and Aubrey start playing. We start connecting on that level. Um, and then I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving kits for you guys. And um, I made, you know, I, and then I kept making friends with all the people that he that worked for him, his assistants, all these things like that. And there was a few hockey guys that were that. So I was like, oh, yeah, we're golden. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving you guys kits, leaving you sticks. Like, you know, like, let me know, you know, shoot any pictures and stuff. You get anyone using it, da, da, da. Well, yeah. then next week, Gary Vee was coming for the podcast, and they end up, like, creating a whole, like, yard game thing out of it be, kind of because of that. And yeah. I didn't even know about it, and I just got the – I got the notification that you, you know, Gary V just like put it all up on the YouTube and I was just like, I was buzzing, man. It was awesome. It was awesome. Unreal. And it came at that time and the timing that it came, this is a story. I can't release all the information soon. I will be able to, but it came at a time when I was in a big negotiation too. Um, so I had some big negotiation things that were going on to take sauce kit to like my next level, what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And it was like kind of just back and forth kind of shit. You know, like I was wanting things and they, they weren't willing to cave on that. And um, that Gary Vee video got released and I sent it to him the next day. I'm like, hey, I'm telling you guys, this is the type of stuff we're going to be able to keep creating. Da, da, da. You know, kind of like put it on there. Boom. They agreed. Wow. Done deal. Signed contract. And it was like the timing of it couldn't have been better. Like it was wow. epic. So, so shout out to Gary V. Thank you, Gary V, for the help on that. Yeah. There. <laughs> yeah, Gary and Aubrey, both of them, killer. Oh, yeah, it was solid. Oh. I told Aubrey that he loved it. That was yeah, he loved this story. 
Nice, nice. Um, all righty, my man. Well, I think that can be it. Um, first and foremost, again, just wanted to thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your day um, and sharing the insights and, and the experiences that thank you've been uh, so fortunate and I'm sure grateful to have been living through, and I'm sure there are going to be many more on the way. Um, would there be anything you'd like to say, any type of advice, uh, life advice maybe for any of the listeners, and then after that, just share where maybe they can find you uh, in terms of social media? Definitely. Yeah, I think if I had to pick one thing, just be, be true to yourself, you know, be authentic, you know, obviously, you know, do whatever you can to help people, but living, living, I've never been happier more now just by living your true self and don't be, don't feel bad for, you know, want to do whatever you want to do and just really live true to you, work hard and just like just put your nose to the ground. And if you really you know, want to build something, you can, you know, like this is, I started this, you know, sauce kit seven years ago by myself, you know, many years it was by myself. And, um, you know, now it's, you know, it's grown into something even bigger than I imagined. You know, we're master retail around the world, selling around the world, be able to provide my family and do something I love. You know, I get to meet people like you and connect with all different types of people. So it's, you know, anything's possible. In today's day and age, it's no better time to do it. You can make yourself look like a huge company. You can do things now that we can compete with the big boys. And so, yeah, just go after it. And uh, so you can find me. So my company, Hockey Sauce Kit, um, at uh, all social media is just at Hockey Sauce Kit. My socials are at uh, Vinny Sauce, V-I-N-N-Y Sauce. And then I also have another company called the Conscious Healing Company. Um, and that's where we, um, we do, we sell supplements. We also, we're starting to get into retreats and we do farm to table dinners. Um, that's so, so that's, uh, yeah, that's about a year and a half only, but I'm super excited about that. It's kind of like, my other passion um, besides uh, sports and hockey have uh, always been into supplements and always been into now and you know, this type of conscious living, but I really want to bring back, um, you know, getting together people and farm the table kind of family style dinners um, mm. as well as different retreats. And I'd love to help share that medicine in the hockey world as well. Yeah. So, appreciate you too, buddy. I know we, uh, yeah, it's been great. First time talking face to face. It's yeah. uh, hopefully many more, buddy. <laughs> Absolutely. And obviously we both have kids. So maybe one day we can uh, meet in Columbus or we meet in Chicago or something. I bring the kids down and we can all meet and go, go check out some frogs in, in the backyard or something. Like that. <laughs> game, bro. Game. I'm yeah. actually, well, yeah, I'm actually planning to come to Ohio this summer. So okay, I wanted cool. to make it happen. Cool. Awesome, Perfect. Alrighty, my man. Well, thank you again so much. And for all the listeners, again, don't don't hesitate in leaving a comment, subscribing, giving you more access to all the content of mine across the Sports Epreneur platform. That'll be it. Thank you all for listening. Have a grateful day.